This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at Kevin Kautzman and at Brad Kelly. Hey, and we're back with another fun-filled action-packed episode of the podcast about the dark side of creativity, art of darkness. Welcome to the foul year of our Lord, 2022. And I think I think it's fair to say in the spirit of all those twos, yeah. we've got a, a very special treat for you. I have not one, but two uh, members of the Brad <laughs> Kelly household. And That's right. I promise. I promise not to get jealous of my podcast husband. We have to share <laughs> Brad <laughs> periodically. So, yeah. so it's all about twos here today. So yeah. we have two subjects, and we've got uh, two people here. Brad, obviously, my partner in crime. Brad, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us what we got going on today? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say, man. Uh, I, you know, I'm generally not into polyamory polyamory but with the <laughs> podcast husband thing you got to be it's an open relationship it doesn't mean i don't love you you know um, open po- to be clear crystal clear because we're, we're, we are putting this out on the internet you're open to podcasting with other people yes that's what i'm saying yeah, yeah. right right well it's fair to say too, but i'll always people, but i'll always come home kevin oh uh, yeah oh good okay <laughs> All right. And people, you can find us on Twitter at Art of Dark Pod and at Brad Kelly if you, you're interested in our polyamorous podcasting. I know you're going to be a guest on another podcast. You're going to talk I, about I, Johnny Cash. Yeah, we're podcast. doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's, it's all hap- It's all happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, tonight we are going to um, talk about the great Lucille Ball, but not just Lucille Ball, because you can't tell the Lucille Ball story without also telling the Desi Arnaz story, or as most people call him, Desi Arnaz. Um, and uh, this isn't one, you know, it's about two people. And uh, uh, I don't have the expertise necessarily to to handle talking about it myself in as much depth as we as we could if we brought in a super fan. And luckily, I happen to be married to a wonderful woman full of positive attributes. And one of them is that she is a Lucille Ball super fan. So we're going to welcome my lovely wife, Jolie Vitale, (laughs) to the show. Um, And we're going to try to handle this together. Um, And hopefully we're still married at the end of it. (laughs) Um, um, But... Don't cross the streams, Brad. <laughs> Never. Okay, we're gonna have to cross the streams. That's all right. Very good. So, if anything happens, I'm sure I'll find other people to podcast with. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> mm. Um. So, so yeah. So, uh, wanted to bring her in, Jolie. Why don't you tell us? I mean, well, one thing. Let Let me do this first. We'll, and then we'll talk about Jolie's relationship with, uh, with Lucille, with Lucille Ball. Um. For people who don't know, you must be have been born since the year 2000. If you don't know about Lucille Ball um, and the show, of course, I Love Lucy, 
one of the most popular shows of all time, certainly in its own time, was was not one of, but it was the most popular television program. Um, completely doesn't seem like it to, to us now, but completely radicalized, radicalized the format, to be honest. I mean, the, the reason you have, you know, family sitcoms that came later that are, you know, easy to make fun of maybe, but the reason all those exist is because I Love Lucy existed. Um, so we're talking about something that is really pretty groundbreaking and the people behind it are also fascinating people who live fascinating lives, um, with the appropriate amount of darkness, I promise. So, so with that, um, I guess I got to ask our question though. First, Kevin, what do you know about Desilu? Lucille Ball, right. Desi Arnaz. The, the question is, what do I know about Desilu? Before I answer, I just want to say a little bit of housekeeping on yeah. every episode of Art of Darkness, oh, artofdarkpod.com. Yep. We keep a special side story type uh, little nugget for the After Dark episode, which you can get through our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. I would be remiss not to start there. Yes, thank uh, you I assume, yeah, I assume that Desilu sold a lot of soap and they sold a lot of household products probably defined a certain type of vision of middle america in their personal lives i have no clue oh good. absolutely no clue i do think at one point i saw on like uh, schizo posting twitter that mm -hmm. The idea about I love Lucy is Lucy stands for Lucifer. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Some, something crazy like this, like on YouTube, you end up down with these rabbit holes. Right, right, right. Satanists have controlled I love Lucy. But that, that is probably not the best answer hmm. to your question. I'll so, click yeah, around no, a little I, bit. I haven't seen any of that research. Never click the third link. Always stop after two, uh, but I really don't know. I would okay. imagine if I, and I'm so if I had to fill in the gaps real quickly, I would say I I would imagine they must have been lifelong Californians and Californians, and yet they they feel like Middle America. They feel like Midwestern Americans. Mm. So probably maybe transplants. But I'm just guessing. The answer mm. is I don't know. I'm excited to find oh, out. Good. That's good. The reason i love doing art of darkness yeah so. yeah absolutely yeah so uh you know yeah we've got a lot we got a lot of gaps to fill and that's good because we've got uh we've got a lot of uh interesting stories and, and and cool factoids to kind of fill that in but before we dig into that into that too much i want to talk a little bit about what i love lucy means to jolie our guest and what it means to our household okay so um so I maybe Julie, maybe you can kind of step in there and talk about your sort of history with the subject. Yeah, I mean, I started watching I Love Lucy when I was probably, I'm guessing about 10, 10 to 12 in that range. And it was on Nick at Night and they would just do episode. It was the original binging. They would do multiple mm -hmm. episodes in a row and I could watch it for a few hours. And I became very quickly a fangirl. I kept a little notebook of all the episodes and what their subjects were about. And I started collecting things when I went antiquing with my mom and uh, got into Lucille Ball a little bit when I was younger and forgot most of that. 
uh, not the show, but just, you know, her life details. Um, and then my daughter, when she probably, I think, was about six or seven, started watching I Love Lucy and became immediately enamored with it, would watch it end to end. And she has dressed up as uh, an I Love Lucy character for, I believe, three Halloweens now, different characters. She did Lucille Ball for her hero day at school. Nobody knows who she is anymore. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so we have a lot of, you know, we have pets named Lucy. I mean, this has just been a big thing throughout my entire life. And one of the things that I was excited about digging back in uh, at this phase is that, Number one, uh, if you read anything about, you know, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and who they were, you'll get very different perspectives. You'll hear things like she wasn't funny and she was very severe and all these things. It's very polarizing and it just didn't make sense to me. It didn't really. I'm like, do I like this woman at all? And so it was a great journey because I think I found that I did like her and uh, she plays this very funny person on TV. And so I think that the temptation is for the pendulum to swing to the other side and to over highlight some of her negative qualities, which were certainly there. But. Uh, she, she wasn't devoid of the positives. And so that was the first one. And then the second one is that uh, it was very interesting learning about Desi. And he was such a huge driver. And, and their daughter, Lucy, uh, L-U-C-I-E, will often criticize most of the articles and documentaries for not giving Desi the credit that he mm. deserved. So I'm really excited for all the research that Brad did and everything you're going to talk about, because uh, he was quite the businessman. He would certainly yeah. rival some of the top uh, businessmen today. Yeah, I was, I, that was something was, you know, we decided to do this and I, I didn't know a whole lot about Lucy as a person. And I knew even less about Desi. And I was like, well, I guess I'll take the Desi half. And then by the end of it was like, this guy is kind of my hero. Like he's got problems for sure. And he's not per, he wasn't perfect, but I, by the end I was I'm super impressed with him. So um, we're going to kind of take you through all of that. Can you hint for me what the after dark story is going to be? Do you have that on lock? Yeah. Well, we know what we're talking about. How would I hint it exactly? Um, well, here's one thing. Desi was when he was a teenager was friends with Al Capone's son. Ah, and that's right, gangster gangster stuff. Yeah, that that is the smallest granule of gangster relation oh, really, uh, okay. uh, entanglements that they sort of have. So, so we're going to we're going to save some of the gangster stuff for yeah, the uh, Patreon. Yeah, OK, yeah. great. So, good to know. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, so I guess I'm going to start with I'm going to start with telling um, the Desi story the early bio stuff and then and then we're gonna we've kind of got a plan here so so bear with us but um <clears throat> so we'll start with desi um his his full name is desiderio alberto arnas uh, e diacha the third okay whoa <laughs> yeah quite a name right so he's short the that, human obviously. torch was yeah. denied a bank loan <laughs> mm, <not> yeah <laughs> uh march uh, he was born march 2nd 1917 uh, died uh, December 2nd, 1986. Um, he was born in uh, Santiago de Cuba, which is uh, the second, remains the second largest city in Cuba and, and was at the time. Um, now, here's, here's the interesting part. He's, you know, he's a, um, he's a Cuban immigrant. And, and our vision of, a, of an immigrant from another country is often somebody who comes from a, a difficult situation, poverty, you know, um, no work, difficult education, those kinds of things. Not the case with Desi. Desi was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His father was the youngest mayor of, of um, Santiago. Um, uh, his maternal grand and, and, and also was a doctor. Um, 
his maternal grandfather was one of the founders of Bacardi rum. Like ah. his, his maternal grandfather's friend had brewed the first batch of Bacardi rum and they sold it together on muleback. So like, so we took it from, you know, selling it to friends in the neighborhood up to a major, major company. Um, and, and Bacardi is one of the few, it's sort of as a corporation, it kind of escaped Cuba later. So it's one of the few comp like international companies that has its roots in Cuba to this day. Um, so that's kind of just interesting stuff. His, his paternal grandfather was a renowned, you know, kind of famous doctor within Cuba um, and was known for, uh, he had been, he had been the doctor for Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders. So he was like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> huh. yeah, right. So very, very. So they, so they must have been, they must have maybe ended up out in North Dakota at some point. Oh, uh, Teddy, well, Teddy the Teddy Rough Riders. Did. So the Rough Riders were engaged in a bunch of places, but they were engaged in the Caribbean and in Cuba. Oh, right, right, right. Of course. But yeah, yeah when I think about Teddy Roosevelt and the uh, Rough Riders, I think about North Dakota. But yeah, they yeah. probably weren't out there. But Teddy was. Teddy was for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, there's another interesting little bit too. So, uh, in 1869, just, I want to paint you a picture of what this family is all about. 1869, the queen of Spain had appointed Desi's great grandfather, the mayor of Santiago, right? So Desi's father was a duly elected mayor, but he, his, his great grandfather had been appointed the mayor of Santiago and his, uh, his, Sorry, his sorry, his great grandfather had been appointed the mayor by the queen. His great great grandfather and his wife Ventura had been given a bunch of land in Cal Southern California by the queen of uh, queen of Spain. Um, Ventura, right? Think about that name. What that means in California? Ventura Boulevard in the San Fernando Valley, Ventura County. These things are named after Desi's great great grandmother. Jesse Ventura, <laughs> Jesse Ventura, <laughs> no relation. I assume. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, that's a, that's a big name. Wow, this is. I had no idea. But of course, yeah. you know, it, it, maybe it's not that surprising. Rich kids still getting yeah. into TV. It's a hard thing to break into. Bah bah bah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, we'll find that that didn't, that didn't help him at all. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. Um, what do I? What do I know? Yeah, yeah. But but so they were. This is a wealthy family with multiple houses. Their main house was a sort of a palatial estate. They had. Five Farms that you know, people, other people work for them. They had massive livestock. They had a vacation sort of. I think he describes it in the book, his autobiography. My my primary source for this is is actually Desi's autobiography, which he called a book. Which <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be my favorite. So wait, he just called it a book. A book. That was the, the title. The title of his autobiography is a book. That yeah. that is now my second favorite title for an autobiography. You want to know my favorite? What, what's the is what's your favorite? Crowley called his uh, autobiography an autohagiography. Oh, because oh, he's telling you he's a life, saint. Yeah. Life of a saint. Yeah, very, very funny. I cannot <laughs> wait to do Mr. Crowley. <laughs> oh, that's going to be, that's yeah. gonna be we're gonna have to We're going to have to do him around like Halloween or so. Actually, yeah. we do it around uh, Crowley ma uh, Mass, which ha happens to be my daughter's birthday as Is well. Is that right? So, ooh, oh, ah, yes. Okay. Yes. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> what, <laughs> what could it mean? October 12th. Yeah, we, okay. we'll figure we'll that look out. out. Okay. Look out for that, folks. Okay. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so... Um, very point is very wealthy, good access to education. Um, there's another aspect of this, this growing up in Cuba thing. His, uh, his paternal grandfather, um, had two houses, one house for his wife and, and like the official family and another house oh. 
for the girlfriend who he also sort of had a family with. And Desi talks about this being common in Latin America. Uh, I I don't have any experience with this in Latin America, but this is the voice of Desi saying this. And if you were a high status man in Cuba, this was common. This is what you did. Um, That getting conditioned in that way is going to lead to some problems for him trying to be be an an American. Um, But okay, so he's got this great life in Cuba, right? Uh, Why is he in America, right? Why leave? Okay. Um, So in uh, 1933, so, okay, so most people are familiar with Castro, somewhat familiar with Castro's takeover of Cuba, right? And the country kind of uh, came to be ruled by a one-party state. It became what we would now call a second world nation, you know, allied with, with, excuse me, allied with the Ruskies. Um, and then the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis, all of that. This is a revolution that precedes that. Um, Desi would say things like, they were communists, but we didn't even have that word yet. We were taken over by Bolsheviks. Right. So this is 1933. So we got to kind of go back in time a little bit, but it's a similar pattern, right? There had been, um, there had been a uh, the country at that time was being run by um, this guy named Gerardo Machado, who was a former uh, former general, and um, he had some very authoritarian policies. And when the Great Depression in 1929 affected kind of the whole world, his authoritarian policies ran into economic crisis and there was there was some folks who were upset you might say um and so uh he was pressured to resign there was a power vacuum there was a the military aligned with student activists kind of took over and they started they started just flipping the table in general and because uh desi's father was the mayor of the second largest city in cuba had allegiances to machado even though they had a somewhat troubled relationship together um, the, uh, the Desi household, the, the Arnaz household was burned, household was burned to the ground. The activists killed all of their animals and De- young Desi would later ask, well, would they, did they kill them to eat them? No, they just killed yeah. them. They just shot the horses and the pigs and the sheep and everything and just left, left them there. Right. Tell me again, just slow down one second. Sure. What year are we in? This what is year? 1933. So Desi and, is 16 mm-hmm. or so. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So a teenager yep. seeing this tumultuous revolution, his father's yeah. the mayor of this big city. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let me read a little bit. Cause this is, this is, this is, you know, kind of hitting some darkness pretty early, right? He's 16. He goes from being a rich, spoiled kid, you know, playing guitar on the beach to being a political refugee in a very short period of time, right? Um, So let me give you this quote. Our house in Santiago wasn't the only one that was ransacked and burned. At least 20 or 30 more suffered the same fate. Some of them belonged to people who weren't even in the government, such as poor Salvador. Just because he was my father's brother, they burned down his stinking little soap factory. Grandma and grandfather Alberto were almost blown to pieces by a bomb in front of their house. Thank God they were not sitting by the window in their rocking chairs. They were saved by being at the birthday party of one of their grandchildren in the inside patio. Grandpa had never, never been into politics. The actions of such a mob incited and manipulated by those who know how are difficult to believe and frightening to witness. You could point a finger at someone and say, he killed my brother. And without any regard to whether it was true or not, they would shoot him or worse, Uh, tie a rope to his ankle and drag him through the streets. 
I saw such an incident. The poor, the poor fellow was bouncing from one sidewalk to the other as they dragged him all the way to the cemetery. And there, if by chance he was still alive and they had one ounce of pity left in them, they finally shot him as you would a crippled horse. By this time, the soldiers and policemen were scared to death and outnumbered, so they became mere onlookers in the midst of the mob. Right, so yeah, that's a, that's a pretty far away from campus revolution camp, the, the sort of fake campus Bolshevism you see. This is some real right, uh, right. This is real. like they're going to burn down. They're going to burn down their house, and if you're they're going to kill your grandmother. You. Right, they will. Yeah, they, right. they might if she gets in the way. Right? Fun, like fun. Yeah, that's so fun. Pretty- I bet. I bet Desi. When he came to America and ultimately integrated and everything, or I don't know if the mm-hmm. word integrated is right, but I bet he was a diehard. Um, he, I bet he loved it. Am oh, he I loved right? America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, he, he's is right more as patriotic as the three of us combined. I am in Miami right now. By the way, yeah. this is the Miami studio for yeah. the month here. Right, and right. So well, this I is am, a perfect episode. I am he ends among up in the Cuban yeah. Americans, and <laughs> yeah. uh, very good. I yeah. am loving the food. Yeah. I had some incredible Peruvian seafood today. Right. It was dynamite. Excellent. Anyway, excellent. Very good. Excellent. So we began. So Desi ends up in Desi ends up in Miami. Um, his father okay. his father is imprisoned. And uh, there's some there's some hullabaloo and I won't go into all the details, but his father does is released and he and Desi, excuse me, he and Desi come to America and they have um, I've read two different things. They had something like three or four hundred dollars between them when they showed up in Florida. Right. So you go from having a personal driver and multiple houses and all these things to three or four hundred dollars. I don't know what that is adjusted for inflation, but it's probably a couple grand. You know, uh, so. maybe a little more than that, but yeah. yeah, we're not talking about a lot of money. It's Probably not, a not lot of certainly money. not a million dollars, right? And about. and no, and and the other thing, zero prospects. It's you right. know what I mean. You show up, you don't know, you don't really know anybody. You don't know the language. Desi didn't know English. His father certainly didn't know English. Um, and whereas Miami is now, there is a there would be a community of those kinds of folks of of Cuban of Cuban immigrants. There were none then. Right. You couldn't in Miami in 1933, you didn't you didn't walk down the street and have, you know, I'm going to go into this restaurant because it's they speak Spanish here. There's none of that. Um, So it was a pretty difficult time kind of making that adjustment. Um, He uh, so his dad did have one kind of last connection that was able to get him to go to this Jesuit high school for free. And he was able to uh, learn English that way and graduate high school. Um, this is the same high school that that uh, Al Capone's son went to, and Desi once briefly spoke to Al Capone on the phone and was kind of freaked out about it. But kind of just kind of a cool thing, and puts that him is, in a that is place. so wild because Al Capone at one point <laughs> was in St. Paul, Minnesota, too. I was believe he? was he? So yeah, yeah that's where yeah. they would hide out. They used to call right. St. Paul where I where I live most. You know, where I'm there most of the time. Yeah. Uh, they used to call it Crooks Haven. There's a uh, whole story. We're gonna do some. We're gonna do some Minnesota stuff down there. But it's so yeah. interesting. These these guys got around. These yeah, these yeah. are yeah very interesting absolutely okay. yeah and so had sent his boy down to the school for whatever reason you know I don't I don't know much about I I know about as much about Al Capone as you know the average person I suppose I I, um, I think we could do him at some point the crime is an art to some level <laughs> on some level yeah sure why not yeah so um, Desi describes his whole time in Miami despite being sort of 
tr- tricky once things kind of started to settle in. I, I think he started to have some fun, even though he was, you know, kind of they were pretty poor. Now, I want there is a very important, I think, story to tell you about his dad to show you the kind of guys the Arnazes were, right? So come to the city with nothing, come to America with nothing come from a place where you're extremely successful you could argue that that stuff was just you know you had the queen of spain gave your great grandfather stuff you didn't earn any of this you know like this is all but his dad and a one, one or two other cuban refugees they start an importing business now they try a couple different things there's like a time where they try to do import bananas and it doesn't really work out and they have a couple of different things that they try they import some tile some cuban sort of hand decorated tile and it shows up and this is they had put like all of the rest of the money that they had into this to buying this tile and bringing it to america they show up and a bunch of it is broken right and then you know you're looking at a pile of broken broken tile this is your last shot what do we what do we do now it's all busted we can't do anything desi's dad decides he's going to make the best of it and he goes to a builder in miami and with these broken tiles and and, and basically says like well <clears throat> you know you, you could, we could build the, the, we could use these tiles the way the Cubans do. And the builder's sort of like, well, what, what do you mean? Well, you see, in Cuba, we break the tiles very carefully. And then what we do is we, we assemble, we reassemble them and tile them in a very artistic manner. It looks really, it looks really good. And the, the builder's like, well, can you show me how to do it? And Desi and his dad are like, they don't, they've never actually tiled anything before. He's just making this up. Right? <laughs> this is some flip flammery. We've right. got some high grade right. flip right. men. Right. Yeah, so, so they do it, you know, they put this, they put the tile around this fireplace the best they can. And the builder just luckily is actually impressed by it and thinks it looks good. So he then gets a contract with this builder who's building all these new homes to do all of the fireplaces with this broken tile. And now it's like this shishi thing to do in Miami. I love this. Time, I love right? this. This is this is America is jazz. You <laughs> got to think on your feet. You got to yeah. keep moving. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then it, it was it went so well that the next shipments of tile that came in, they had to run over them in a truck in the back alley. <laughs> Because, <laughs> because now now they got to sell broken tile, right? <laughs> oh my God! It's like the people who distress clothing, right? Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. Right. Oh but, my God! But I so wanted, funny. I wanted that. So that was his dad's idea. But whatever that gene was, Desi had that gene, that savviness, that thinking on your feet, that like, how do we get from point A to B? Because we're getting to point B no matter what. Right. He had he had that. He was very he was a very intelligent, very, um, very strong willed kind of guy. Um, and that's not to say he was like domineering or anything, but he just he if he was in the situation, he was going to figure out how to how to make the most out of it. Um, so when he's like right after he graduated, actually, while he's in high, high school, he starts playing for a Roomba band. He'd been playing music all along. He starts playing for this Roomba band, Roomba band. <clears throat> I'm at the Roney Plaza in Miami, and uh, he meets this guy named Xavier Cugat. Now, nobody knows who Xavier Cugat is anymore, but at the time, you're talking the 1930s, he was a big name touring. Um, it's not quite big band, but you'd have these orchestras, these like nightclub orchestras. And Xavier Cugat um, was kind of the only guy doing this with a, with a Latin flair. 
you might say. Mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm. was very, very successful. He had a standing gig at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. Desi gets a job working and playing and singing for Xavier Cugat. So he goes up to New York City. He's making a pittance, but he's now he's building a resume. And most importantly, because he's Desi, he thinks of himself as being in school. Okay, I'm working with this guy who is successful. What can I pay attention to? What can I learn about the business so that I can do this myself? Right. Within six months, Desi quits Xavier Cugat on good terms, starts up his own thing. He actually becomes sort of a Xavier Cugat franchise because he agrees if, if he gives Xavier Cugat a little bit of money, he can use Cugat's name and advertise him as Desi Arnaz from the Xavier Cugat band, right? Cugat. I, what a name. What Cugat. kind of name is Cugat? <laughs> right. I don't know. They would, call oh, wow. him, they would call him Coogie, which I think is Coogie. a cool nickname. Um, so... So anyway, six months with him. Now, he's still like 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. He goes back down to Miami. He decides he's going to start his own thing. He's got a deal with Kugat. Uh, Kugat tells him, hey, Desi, you get a thing going. I'll send you a couple of guys to get a band, a band going, right? So Desi, one other guy from the band comes with Desi. They decide they're going to they're gonna, you know, figure this out. They go into uh, the nightclub they'd heard about. Uh, a new sort of Latin themed nightclub that would be starting up. They go into another club owned by this famous guy who had kind of gangster connections named Mother Kelly in Miami. And there you can Google Mother Kelly. He's just sort of a famous name in, in Florida in, in the 30s. And uh, they start throwing money around. Desi and his buddies start throwing money around, buying champagne, tipping the cigarette girl, all of this, even though they didn't have any money. Desi says they had $20 total, like total $20. They're throwing money around and they're basically just trying to get get the attention, right? They're trying to get somebody to start paying attention to him so they can make this connection to this guy, Nick, who's starting up this other club. So they do. Of course, it works. And, and Desi is a sort of a known guy somewhat in Miami already from playing the Roni Plaza and all that. And uh, they basically string along this young Nick guy who's trying to start his own club. They they within this one conversation, they turn it around to the fact that Nick is basically begging them to play. It's really funny how it's done because Desi's like, Desi's basically a dropout from Xavier Cugat's band, but he plays it like he was the star. He's like, "Ah, Xavier said, you know what, Desi, you've done so well for me. You go down to Florida and you take a break for a while, okay? You know, you just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so more flim flammery exactly. we're breaking we're breaking the tiles again yes exactly and mm. this is this is how he rolls he's faking it this until is he a makes good it. good metaphor meta, good metaphor yeah, yeah yeah he fakes it until he makes it and then makes it right like it it's, this out. is america baby mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is what he loves and this is what he loves about america is like you come to you come to america with you know nothing and if you're smart and you work hard you know, things happen. You occasionally commit a little bit of fraud. Occasionally, occasionally commit a little bit of <laughs> yeah, fraud. Just ride the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah just well, also just, if you're like uh, stunningly handsome and charismatic, that right? You, you, yeah. And you come from this this family <laughs> and this lineage, right? Yeah, we're it's show business, baby. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so okay. Anyway, so he starts playing this club, and this is another this is another cool thing, and 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 we're gonna bring we're gonna bring Jolie back into this to talk about Lucille, but we're gonna get Desi up to a point here. So. Um, so anyway, he gets the deal to play this show and his deal with Xavier Kugat, the guy he was working with before is Kugat's going to send him some guys to get a band started. 
So, all right, he calls up Kugat and he's like, hey, I got a, I got a gig playing Latin music at this new club. You know, you can send me some guys. Kugat says, I got you, I got you. So a handful of guys show up, two Jews, a Spanish guy, an Italian guy, which this is not a race thing, but like um, they didn't know so how to play Latin music. It's like they walked into a bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was just it's like, the start like, of a joke. Yeah. yeah and, and they don't know how to play Latin music. They and right? the, whole they, they, gig okay. is, mm-hmm. the whole gig is he's supposed to be playing Latin music. Oh boy. Okay. So he says the show and they're not even the right instruments. He's got like a violin player. Like it's not it, the whole thing is wrong. They and they showed up like the day either the day before or the day of the first show. So he's got two sets to do, right? After the first one it's so bad that the owner of the club fires him. And then <laughs> Desi says, "Hold on, you know, let me do one more show. Let me do one more, let me do one more thing and then we'll, we'll see how that goes." So he's kind of racking his brain, he's thinking and he's He's like, he remembers doing conga lines back in Santiago. Okay. Conga lines, people love them in, Santi- in Santiago. It was sort of like a Mardi Gras thing. And the conga line would go on for three days. And he thought to himself, that rhythm is so easy. Like, these guys can play that. We'll get a pan out of the kitchen. We'll put a nail in it. You know, it, it's very easy and it's repetitive. Like, we'll, we'll just do a conga and hopefully it works out. Okay, so they do this conga line thing. Now, you have to remember, we know about conga lines. America didn't know anything about conga lines. Desi basically, as far as Americans are concerned, Desi Arnaz invented the conga line that night, trying to save his butt in this nightclub. Uh, amazing. You got to think on your feet. I love it. Yeah, it went, it it. went crazy. It went incredibly well. I mean, it went well enough that, you know, a couple of years later, he was playing in a nightclub called La Conga in New York City, right? Like, that's how it spread. It was viral. It was viral pre-internet, internet, right? I just love that for the guys who were already fired off of the first set, right. he hands them a pan right. and he's like, here's how we're going to get our job back. Yeah. Play this pan. Yeah. And he shows them how to do it. It's a very because it's like I can't remember exactly, but the rhythm is super simple. And he like shows them how they how they've got to do it, right? And they're like, okay. And you're some guy who you know knows how to play the violin. Suddenly you're just playing some pants. And we're we're in the 30s here. Yeah, this would be like 1935 or so. Yeah. So yeah. you have all these stuffy Americans. It's this interwar period. You've got a lot of money, I imagine, down in Miami. There's getting to be and- some, yeah. They're looking for any excuse to to dance and to party and to mm-hmm. do something different. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, yeah, and they fun. loved it. And now you got this guy, this hang. He's he does. He was a very handsome guy, very charismatic. He's up there slamming on the drums, sweating. <laughs> you know, his whole thing yeah, was right. to play until yep. he got sweat and the tie had to yep. come off and the hair. I'm unbuttoning crazy. my top button right yeah. now. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, here we go. Yeah. And, you know, he would go down and play like to one individual woman, you know, playing. That, like, you know, right. Yeah. You're going to play. Yeah. You're going to hype up the kind of Latin heat kind of yeah, thing. Right. He, yeah. He knew, okay. exa- he knew exactly what he was doing. Right. So this music to us sounds it doesn't really appeal to me in a very deep way, I have to say. But like when you see performances of him, it's clear that he had mastered his craft. Right. He knew how to lead. He knew how to lead a band, how to put on a show for a group of people like he'd figured all that out by the time he's like 22 years old. I mean, and if you can get all of these stuffy Americans who are on vacation, who are looking for permission to let rip. Right. uh, If you can get them all dancing, it's like a comedian who is actually good at crowd work. Right. The crowd does half the work. Yeah. You get them. dancing. Oh, yeah. You're working the room. 
Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, you're yeah. getting it all stirred up and getting those temperatures up and yeah, getting everybody. Right, and they're, and they're buying drinks and mm-hmm. everybody's getting loose and the night goes until close. Yeah. Everybody's having a good time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. So, so, um, yeah, so now he ends up taking this up to New York. There's some interludes, but the important thing is he ends up going back up to New York and he starts playing this Lakonga club. Um, he gets reeled into doing a Broadway show called Too Many Girls. Um, they needed a they... <laughs> Too Many Girls. Impossible. Like a, impossible. <laughs> I don't believe the premise. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he jokes in interviews later. He says, uh, when I back when I was doing Too Many Girls. I'm talking about the Broadway show, you know, (laughs) right, right. Perfect. Nice. Very good. So so he goes up, he goes up and he gets involved. They needed a, they needed a Latin heartthrob type and, and they were kind of few and far between in those times to find somebody like that who had the acting, you know, there, there wasn't the, the depth and breadth of the, of the Hispanic community wasn't like it is now, you know, you wouldn't have to search far and wide to find a super talented guy from Mexico or Cuba or whatever. But at that time it wasn't a large community. So, so he kind of slid right in there. Um, he gets into too many girls, too many girls is a huge hit. They're touring, mostly playing in New York. There is a period of time when Desi is playing on Broadway. He doesn't have the lead role, but he was sort of the steal the scene guy. And then from there, he would go play Lakonga every night for like five nights a week. Right. So he was like there was a minute there where he was like the biggest deal in New York City entertainment. It wasn't a very long period of time, but like that was everybody knew who Desi Arnaz was. Right. This is purple rain period. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he's you know, and he's he's partying. He's drinking quite heavily. He's starting to develop some habits that are going to that are going to haunt him a little bit later. He gets Wait. So this was a Broadway show. Yes, it was a Broadway show. And yep. where was uh, the where was Kong, uh, Congo? That was Lakonga. The club was in New York. Congo. Was in New York City, someplace. Do yeah. you know? Okay, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I don't I'm know kind exactly of curious where it, where it was. Yeah, I might look yeah. it up in the background. I'm yeah, curious. yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure where it was, but yeah. So he would play. But the interesting thing, he would play both, do both of those things in one night, which that's yeah. not easy to do, uh, man. Right? No. And then yeah, he yeah. would. And then here's the thing. So he started to become such a playboy. He got involved with Polly Adler. Who, if you look up Polly Adler, was like a famous madame. Now, mm-hmm. Desi kind of claims that she just lavished, like that he spent a lot of time at Polly Adler's, you know, house of ill repute, and that it was all sort of just gifted to him. I don't know that I believe that exactly, but he definitely was uh, partaking in the goods at Polly Adler's. And she, you know, if you're a madame with a Wikipedia page, you know, you're. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a big, you're a big deal right sure um, yeah so so um the too many girls things ha- too many girls things happened um and uh they uh it, it goes well and then he gets pulled into uh the film for too many girls um oh one thing i want to back up on on too many girls and then we're gonna we're gonna switch gears here pretty soon um he uh too many girls was a rogers and hart production and i don't know kevin if that name rings a bell for you eh, vaguely yeah no. i mean they were big music it was big musical guys of that period they're sort of on the the mount rushmore of early broadway musicals i would say um mm-hmm. and again just like just like desi paid attention to xavier kugat he paid attention to how these guys worked he was 
constantly, you know, on the one hand, he's this sweaty guy banging on a drum. On the other hand, everything that happens, he is paying attention and figuring out how he, you know, what skills he can pick up, learning how these things work. So he learned how to put, he learned how to master a band in a crowd. Now he's in a perform, now he's in a play. So what can you learn here about stage blocking, about how a scene has to be set up, about how dramatic action works, how comedic action works. He's, he's picking mm-hmm. up all of these pieces. He's a total sponge. Um, now he, uh, he, when, uh, too many girls gets picked up to be a film, he's lucky enough to get pr- brought in on that cast. Um, and so he has, has got to California, buys an old big new Buick, uh, gray Buick, uh, roadmaster. He goes on this cross country trip, which has got to be kind of cool, right? He'd showed up in, excuse me, showed up in Florida. And now he's getting to see this whole big country that he's kind of rapidly fallen in love with. Um, so that's all pretty cool. Um, now there is one other person who's on this too many girls show, and that is Lucille ball. So, um, I'm going to read you this little bit. Um, I'm going to read you this little bit, uh, about from a book about meeting Lucille ball. So he comes into RKO and he's getting introduced around. Um, he's talking about what the movie's like and all of that. <clears throat> and this is from Desi. So we were expecting that image to walk in, talking about an ingenue, and in walks Lucille Ball, whom I didn't recognize. Miss Ball had just come from a stage where she had been filming Dance Girl Dance with Maureen O'Hara, in which they both played burlesque queens. She had just finished, this, finished a scene with Miss O'Hara, in which they had been in a big fight. So now she looked like a $2 whore who had been badly beaten by her pimp, with her hair all Ooh. over her face and a black eye, and she was dressed in a cheap costume. She had just stopped by to say hello to George, uh, George Abbott, who was the director of Too Many Girls. After she left, I asked Mr. Abbott, who the heck was that? He answered, that's the girl who's going to play uh, the ingenue. That's Lucille Ball. That's Lucille Ball, and she's going to do the ingenue thing? you got to be kidding. Well, now, wait a minute. She was in makeup for something else. I think you've blown your top, George. There's no way they can change her to look like an ingenue. So that's their first meeting. She comes in, and he's like, huh? Like... <laughs> What, what is this now that isn't a good you know that that doesn't bode well for a torrid love affair and, and lifelong romance but that's the start of it it's half movie magic there's you know there's some confusion about what she's going to be she's kind of being introduced as his love interest introduced to him as his love interest right because that's the role she's going to play um and now i want to stop there because this gets now we've met lucy and now we got to get Lucy up to this point too to see what kind of person Lucille Ball is is when he meets her. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up for a minute and uh, and let Jolie do the talking. Before uh, Jolie, if I may, I just want to say I found it that uh, Lakanga okay. opened on Bro- yeah uh, Broadway in '51st in 1929, okay. and by 1937 it was wildly popular mm. um, in New partially, York, partially due to Desi. Oh. Actually, probably he introduced it says he introduced the conga to the United States, which is Mm -hmm. just absolutely wild. All right, right, Julie. Yeah. Take it away. We're doing our own little conga line here. Here we go. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, chicka, boom, boom, chicka, boom, boom, boom. boom. All right. All right. So Lucille Desiree Ball uh, was born from Jamestown, New York. So your Midwest girl um, was very connected to Jamestown, uh, which is a little uh, town kind of by Lake Erie. um, And uh, it's pretty small. She was born on August 6th, 1911. 
And uh, her mom was 18. Her mom's name is Desiree, which is her middle name. Um, they called her Dee Dee. And her dad's name was Henry Ball. Uh, he was 24. And so she's the oldest. She's going to have a brother later. But her formative moments started uh, extremely young. So when she was th about three, her, her mom and dad moved to Detroit. And her dad was a lineman at the Michigan Bell Company. And her mom was pregnant with her younger brother, Fred. And he would go up in the storms in the winter and he was sort of a hard, hard worker. He would volunteer when other people were off and uh, he ended up getting typhoid. And so he gets sick and he, he passes away. And so she's three and a half. Her uh, mother was five months pregnant with her brother, Fred, when her husband dies. And so Lucy remembers this. She has like a snapshot of it in her head. She always remembers what happened. And she remembers looking out the window and she saw a bird and the bird flew in and she was terrified of birds her entire life. She would call them out of rooms. She would never have birds around her. Uh, during this time, her mom was really overwhelmed. They stayed in Detroit for a little while. And uh, her mom actually would tie her to a clothesline in the backyard and she would run uh, back and forth. And they, they use this to describe how charming she was because she would uh, talk to neighbors that they were and she'd be like, please, sir, could you please let me off the line and give me oh some water? Oh and God. so one day someone let her off the line and, you know, this is how it went. So finally, a and I actually looked this up um, to try to figure out where it was, a Mr. Flowers who owned a like general store in Wyandotte started to let her come hang out there when she was little and she would sit on the counter and she would recite nursery rhymes and people would give her money. And Aww. so she sort of started making her earning very young. Aww. So hmm. they move back. Dee Dee decides to move back to Jamestown where her parents are and her sister lives. And she gets a job in a factory after World War One, and she meets uh, somebody named Ed Peterson. So Ed Peterson will become Lucy's stepfather. He's Swedish. Um, it sounds like he came over from Sweden or his parents did. And so they get married when Lucy's seven and Fred is three. So Lucy is like, awesome. You are going to be my new dad. And she walks up to him at the wedding with this big grin. She like introduces her brother and she's like, can we call you dad now? And he says, call me Ed. So he just didn't really have a paternal bone in his body. Now they're going to have some really interesting relationship moments uh, throughout her life. Um, but right off the bat, he kind of made it clear, like, that's not what I'm here for. So I just want to say that we're in Western upstate New York, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm buttoning my shirt. Yeah, button the back up. <laughs> button back up. <laughs> we actually, um, we actually, Julie, and, and we, we went to Jamestown and saw the house. It would be this house, I guess, that Dee Dee and Ed moved it would have been uh it would have been Hunt's. their yes her uh grandfather's house. yeah yeah so yeah. she's still a big deal in jamestown like yeah she's huge. Out. yeah murals of her and a museum of her for her and desi there and, and all and all of it so it's kind of cool if you're a fan to swing through jamestown so Ed and Dee Dee don't ever have kids, uh, but what they do is they go in search of work. So they leave Jamestown. Uh, they go back to Detroit. And so, you know, Dee Dee's got these two kids and she thinks it's going to be too much for her mom and her dad to handle. And so and Lucy's apparently a lot to handle. So she she separates them. So she lets Fred go with her parents and she has Lucy go live with Ed's parents, who she does not know. They're very cold. They're very 
um, you know, strict and uptight. And so she's living there and, um, you know, it's this, it's this really strict environment. So Sophia Peterson, which is Ed's mom, was very religious and she was very cold. And one of the things that, you know, she was so religious that she wouldn't allow mirrors in the house. And she oh, thought that they vanity. were a sign of vanity. Uh, but Lucy is this natural comedian. I mean, she is absorbing everything. She's a sponge just as much as Desi is. And you'll see that throughout her career. And so she would, when she would walk um, either past cars or by shops, she would look in the glass and she would make these faces at herself and see how she could manipulate her face to, you know, do different movements, which if you've seen I Love Lucy is that physical comedy is definitely her strength. And so yeah, she started yeah, most, that pretty Most early. of the humor is like in her face. Right. And and her immediate reaction to things, I would say, is a lot of the humor of that show. Yeah. So she uh, did a lot of chores. That was what she she had a lot of tasks while she was there. She does remember when it was rainy, she would get to sit outside and play with these clothespin dolls. She had this whole fantasy thing. She had a fake friend named Sassafrasa that she made up. Um, and so that was her life there. And she said, uh, you know, so it's funny because it sounds miserable. When you look at her, back at her early life, there was just tragedy after tragedy. Um, and one of the things she said is people with happy child, childhoods never overdo. They don't strive or exert themselves. They're moderate, pleasant, well-liked, and good citizens. Society needs them. But the tremendous drive and dedication necessary to succeed in any field, not only in show business, often seems to be rooted in a disturbed childhood. I wasn't an unloved or an unwanted child, but I was moved around a lot. And then the death and cruel circumstances brought many painful separations. So she has this mm. very like pragmatic, you know, sort of view of what drove her when she was really young. Mm. So when she's 12, Dee Dee comes back and the entire family moves to Celeron together. And so she's now living. She went from living with the Petersons to living with her mom. Ed, her grandpa, Fred, her aunt or her grandma, Flora, um, her aunt and her brother. And then um, her aunt had a daughter who's a big part of her life, who's around, I think, one or two at the time. So now she has these kids that she can bring into all of her dramas. And, you know, she has this really happy life. And this is like the happiest time of her life. She remembers this house just as being magical. Wow, that, that is a lot of people in, in a house. And you say, <laughs> a lot of you, say you say Celeron. Where is this? Is this in New York as well? Celeron, yeah. It's, I think it's really close to Jamestown. It's it not, far, like it's it's not far from Jamestown. Oh, I yeah, see. Okay. Yeah. And may I also ask, you, you mentioned this religious figure. What what brand of religion? I assume some Christian sect. Were they Catholics? Was, yeah. it, was it Protestant? Oh, they were. I don't, know that they said, I don't know that they said which sector that I remember. Okay. But, yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Okay. Gotcha. So she's there. Ever, all the adults are working. They all have jobs, you know, and they they were um, okay, but she grew up pretty poor. So there, every dollar went somewhere. They were, you know, having to budget. There was no real excess, but they were just getting by. And so when they would be off at work, she was sort of in charge of taking care of the house. She was not very domestic. She would rather play. So the chores would often, you know, barely uh, get done. And, you know, she was just sort of known as just wanting to play all the time. So she starts to go to school and she does well in school. Um, she does okay. Let me put it that way. She, if she doesn't like the teacher, she's not going to do very well. She was sort of like a C student, but she was very involved in drama. So she had a friend, Pauline, and they started this drama club. They were always doing plays. Um, 
and her she called Pauline Sassafrasta. So now she had a real life and her imaginary <laughs> friends had oh. become real. And oh. they would always I know they would always go to this park um, in Celeron where there was like a bandstand. So they would hear all the big bands come. There would be vaudeville. There'd be all sorts of things there. And this was a big, you know, sort of hobby of what they did when, you know, there was downtime. Back when men wore hats and America was America and we didn't live in our screens. Yes, that's right. Go outside, people. Yep. (laughs) Go see a vaudeville show. Go see a show for real. Yeah. All right. Yeah, circuses as she worked at a hamburger stand in the park. Oh. Um, so she was, you know, this was a, a large portion of her life. And right around this time, um, she has, so she's got this interest in drama. She had this interest in plays and Ed uh, takes her, he, he knows she wants to be on stage and she wants to be an actress. And Julius Tannen is in town and he is a monologist, which he would get on stage. He would tell stories, you know, he would do, they were funny, but it's sad. And she sat there and she was just entranced the entire time. And she heard him go from something sad to hilarious. And so Julius Tannen was sort of the first moment where she realized there's more out here than just what I see when I see these, you know, um, Pauline sort of skits when they come into the theater. And it really opened up her eyes. And later when she goes, drama school she'll actually recite a Julius Tannen um monologue uh, as a dramatic sort of um uh class in her drama school so she's hitting oh go ahead sort of like a stand-up comedian it's like stand-up early stand-up comedy yeah kind of, right? I mean it, it goes back to Mark Twain I think was yeah. one of the early fellows to yeah. do this you would get up and they would yeah. do yeah, yeah. I think I have a show title. I think it might be The Broken Tiles of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Okay. I like that. I think I like that's that. good. Yeah. Seems to get approval. Yeah, this idea of being a monologist is so interesting too. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna yeah. start that up again. I'm gonna become a uh, you know, I mean, yeah, monologist. Yeah. It, 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 stand-up goes back a lot further than this sort of uh, this. Yeah. Lenny Bruce and all the rest of oh, Lenny yeah. Bruce big breakthrough that's going to be a fun episode to do mm-hmm. but uh mm-hmm. yeah right yeah. cool yeah. so we're hitting puberty at this point and oh no uh, ah. Ah. <laughs> and lucy becomes this wild um little kid becomes quite a partier so she begins to uh, go to dances and her friends are not really allowed to hang out with her anymore because she's wild. And uh, she meets a boy, Johnny DeVita. She was 14 years old and he was either 21 or 23. The sources vary. Oh. And she falls madly in love with him. And Johnny uh, runs liquor from Canada and he has a ton of uh, cars. His family has a bunch of cars and he would, she would sit on the hood of the car and they would drive circles around Lake Chautauqua. <laughs> she is like a pure shot of Americana. Oh yeah. Working at the uh, hot burger, the, stand. Uh, burger stand yeah. and you got the, the imaginary friend who becomes the real friend. And wow, he's like Cuba. Yeah. Uh, and she is like America. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep, she's the first person she is. She was very on top of fashion. So she had a bob and, you know, it's she's a flapper, she says. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <laughs> this is sort of her life and she's living large. Well, and I, I did say Midwestern earlier. I didn't know. Uh, upstate New York has a lot more in common with the Midwest than 
it does with Manhattan. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the snow belt, they call it. It's more like, it's more like Michigan than it is Michigan like or the, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So uh, she's going to be heading to New York soon and sort of unleashing some of this artistic energy that she has. Um, But first is one of the most pivotal events in her life. And that is um, that her brother gets a 22 for his birthday. And they're in the backyard and her grandpa Fred is there and they are there's a bunch of neighborhood kids and they're shooting targets. And so her grandpa has everybody lined up on chairs and he's given them instructions. You sit in the chair when it's not your turn. It's very important that you don't move. And uh, there was a neighbor boy and he was, his mom lived like a few houses down. And when she would yell his name, it was notorious. She'd yell his name, the whole neighborhood would hear. And he would just go running as soon as she yelled. (laughs) Because if he wasn't there in a few seconds, she would beat him or, you know, whatever was the case night. So she yells his name and he runs right in front of her brother as he's shooting. And uh, he's shot and he ends up severing a spinal, an area in his spinal cord. So he's Mm -hmm. paralyzed from the waist down. So the parents sue her grandpa and he um, is done working at this point. He's late in this or he's, I guess he, he's in his sixties. And so, you know, he's worked factories, he's worked hard jobs. And this is the point where he's supposed to be done. Uh, he loses it. He tries to transfer the home into his daughter's names, but they end up suing a few times. So he goes to jail for a little bit and then he gets put in some sort of like, you can't leave the County sort of phase. Um, but they lose all of their money. And so she has to, and the house gets sold. So Jeez. her magical home, she has to leave. All um, gone, all gone in like a second. All gone in a second. Yeah. Yeah. So around this time, her family's dispersed and uh her parents Ed and Dee Dee get divorced. Um, her her cousin Cleo, who was living with them, who was like the youngest sister um figure, has to move out. And so they end up moving back to Jamestown at this point, I believe. And what's most important is that she just starts skipping school. She has to switch high schools. She has is not with her friends. She doesn't like the new high school. And so she and Johnny just start going on road trips, basically. And so um, Dee Dee basically is getting a lot of flack from the community. Nobody wants their kids hanging out with Lucy. And so Dee Dee decides that if Lucy's going to run away, she might as well somehow point her in the right direction rather than have her sort of just run away with this older kid and have her ruin her life. So she enrolls her in the Robert Mitten John Murray Anderson School of Drama. And um, she earns the money, um, scrapes it together, and sends her there. But when Lucy goes, she is terrified. She doesn't talk to anyone. She can barely get through a line. Uh, Betty Davis was in her class and Betty was like the top of the class and she's intimidated. And so after a few months, um, the, she gets sent home and the instructor sends her mom a note and says that she would be wasting her money and that Lucy does not have a, a, a future in film. Jeez. Oh, yeah, it hurts. Wow, this is she's had a rough life, right? Really has. 
Yeah. Well, Lucy agrees with this assessment. Yeah, yeah. She's like, <laughs> this is not for me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But she didn't just go back to Jamestown and just like, all right, well, I'll just cut hair for the rest of my life or mm. whatever. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the next like 10 years, she is hard to keep track of because she is back and forth between J- Jamestown and New York City. I-, I mean, almost constantly. And the big thing that kind of drove uh, Lucy is that she had this homesickness. Uh, but then she also wanted to get out. So, you know, she's kind of a little bit both. So she would be going to New York City, um, doing these jobs that were still in alignment with wanting to be somewhere in, you know, film. And then going back to Jamestown when she got either sick or homesick. So she, um, I'm going to focus more on the New York City side of things just because that's what eventually gets her to Hollywood. So she decides she's got to get over this shyness. So she creates an alter ego and she decides to play that alter ego. So she is now Diane Belmont from Montana, which is where her parents (laughs) had actually lived before they had her. So Mm -hmm. she decides she's not totally lying. So Diane Belmont um, is auditioning for chorus lines. Uh, she would go to diners and she didn't have any money for food. She was still writing Johnny and Johnny was sending her tons of money. I don't know where it was. I mean, $50, a hundred dollars week after week, she was living with people that they knew. And so she's using this for auditions. She would go to diners and she would, uh, watch people who were about to leave. And then when they would leave, she would slide into their seat and she would eat the rest of their donut and she would take the tip and then buy herself a coffee while she took their newspaper and looked for auditions that she could go or job um, opportunities. It's a little bit of, now we got a little, little flim flammery there. Outright petty theft. You don't, you don't, you don't get to the top without some flim flam, Kevin. No, no. Well, and of course there's that famous scene where she's eating the chocolate, stuffing the chocolate in her mouth. Right. Yeah. 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 This is shades of that. She's sort of like hopping around. (laughs) Interesting. Hmm. So she gets a job uh, at Hattie Carnegie's dress shop and uh, as a model. And apparently she looked like one of the actresses at the time. And so they dyed her hair blonde because that actress would come in and, and shop there. So the more she looks like her, the more that, you know, they, she could visualize the clothes on her. Hattie was very instructional to her and she was very helpful. She sounded like kind of like a mother, like she, you know, helped her along. She also would kick her in the shins. She said her shins were black and blue. She'd pinch her in the ribs if she wasn't standing the right way. And so during this time, you know, but she's learning, she's committed and she's learning. And this is the thing about Lucy. She is hardworking and she is going to do whatever she needs to do to get the result that she wants. And so she's, you know, taking it in and learning what she can from it. So she's dating a lot. Um, She's with a bunch of other models. And so she's getting a lot of proposals. Um, There's many men who are interested in her and she is just not, has no desire to settle down. She wants to make it big. And most of all, she wants to take care of her family. So she wants to be able to be the one to provide for the family, pull it all together, because that is now, there is no one now who can do that. So um, around this time, she gets uh, her big break, and that is that she is asked to model for a Chesterfield ad, and she, uh, the 
image that they take is with her and these two dogs and it's striking and it ends up going up on billboards and magazines. It's like the Chesterfield ad of the year. So when people see her, they sort of recognize her. C- yeah. yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The smoky flavor of Chesterfields. <laughs> My doctor recommends Chesterfields for the T-zone. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm doing the impromptu, yeah. Yeah. Smoke Chesterfields, this woman is going to notice you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, just, just go into the they, they live, right? Right. Consume yep. Chesterfields every day. Yeah. Yeah. The, okay. All right. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting <laughs> is that I Love Lucy was sponsored by Philip Morris, but Lucille Ball continued to smoke Chesterfields her entire life. And yeah. uh, the CEO of Philip Morris saw her smoking her Chesterfields and said, if she's going to smoke those cigarettes, can she at least put them in our box? Yeah. <laughs> fun. That is funny. Fun fact. Uh, my father, who who ha- happened to pass away when I was very young, so I feel mm. sympathetic to, to Lucy uh, and can relate to her idea of being driven by something like that. Uh, th- this podcast doesn't come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, but my, my father worked for Philip Morris. He was a tobacco salesman in North Dakota, and we were getting checks from Philip Morris for years after he passed away. Really? Oh, yeah, they had some great, I don't even know how it all worked. It was some Damn. policy, but if you work for the devil, the devil will pay you. That's true. That's <laughs> you true. Know? Yeah. And I, I also, so I also, uh, on, on the Bird website, sometimes come around to defend tobacco. Uh, I think tobacco is the backbone of America, <laughs> to, to be honest. And I, I well, think, I think, uh, when we got rid of cigarettes in public life, I think public life did decline. I think maybe it's better for overall health, but maybe not for mental health and our mm. socializing. Real, real men smoke Chesterfield. Right. All right, I'm done. <laughs> there you go. There's that weird uh, connection. All right. All right. <laughs> Although that's the competition. My father was a Philip Morris man. So I don't, yeah, anyway, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. We don't want to. We don't want to talk. We don't want to dig up Chesterfield. But for real, though, I mean, not to be too, not to go too far um, out of left field, but I think we're getting into sort of that Mad Men era for, for yeah. these folks, right? A little before the Mad Men swinging Mad Men thing really kicks off, but cigarettes were such an integral part of American life and tobacco as a crop really was a huge part of the American story. And I think sometimes that's, that's lost on us. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. TV was like financed partially by, you know, tobacco and then a few other products. Right. So it's, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, I mean, Mad Men begins with the the scene of Draper and the, um, the fellow and he's asking him about his cigarettes and what would it get you to change and all the rest. So yeah. Anyway, just a little bit of an aside, very interesting, the tobacco America connection. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Lucy is, uh, at this point, while she now has been modeling and she's recognizable, someone, uh, an agent uh, from Paramount sees her and they say, hey, we need another girl. Somebody backed out uh, to be in Roman Scandals as a Goldwyn girl. So this is her first break. She's on the streets of New York walking and she gets asked to go to Hollywood. And to be a Goldwyn girl, that was to be like a dancer kind of in stage yeah. shows. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of, you know, different uh, dancing lines and, you know, sort of these groups of women. Now, Lucy was not very good at dancing or singing. However, Goldwyn Girls, you know, was more about the costumes, more about, yeah. you know, there'd, sort of the be, overall presence. There'd be 50 of you on stage yeah. doing the same kind of the same thing at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Entertainment well, was so different in that era. Right? You know, Johnny, you know, Johnny, we're going to go out. We're going to look at some gams tonight. Here we go. <laughs> I can't wait to see some legs. Boy, we're going to see a lot of leg tonight. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, do, are either of you familiar with the poster or up for um, Roman Scandals? No. So they dressed these women in nude. So they were supposed to look as if they were Roman and they were slave women. And so they wore nude body suits and they had these long wigs that uh, covered areas to make them look like they were naked. Oh, my oh God. I'm seeing it right now. This is what I think they would call in grad school problematic. It is, it yeah. is problematic. <laughs> so that oh, was so Lucy. They're Lucy chained Lucy. up. They're chained up in this picture. They're chained up. And Whoa. actually, uh, you know, I'll try and keep this short. The, the wig hair material was very cheap and they had these hot lights and it would fry up and melt in these oh lights. And they, they actually chained these women to this um this concrete thing that was up 20 feet and it was at one point lucy fainted and she fell off of her chains down 15 17 feet and somebody managed to catch her but it was just grueling i mean it was grueling work and what she loved about the film was that the film food that's it yeah 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 Mm -hmm. Like the, yeah. the majestic kingly buffets of yeah. food was real food. And so uh, they could eat, the Golden Girls could eat all of that food. And that oh. was like. Now, now in the theater of the mind, I've pulled this up. It says Eddie Cantor. He's got a, a laurel. He's sort of all done up with like makeup and stuff. He's in like a, um, a green, like Roman Toga? uniform. Yeah, yeah, Toga, maybe but something, something like yeah, but something Roman. And then he's surrounded by maybe a dozen uh, blonde haired nude women, uh, suggestive. And it says Roman scandals in the Samuel Goldwyn production of Roman scandals. If you get a chance to look this up, it's worth looking up. Uh, fascinating. And you're telling me this is a film I can watch, right? Okay, yeah. good to know. <laughs> Taking notes. Great. You got my strict undivided yeah. attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The look on Eddie Cantor's face in that is pretty good on the poster. He seems, uh, I don't know. This would be this would be a great poster if you found in the wild. You would buy this and frame yeah. it and put it up. Very yeah. amusing and kind of funny. Yeah, looks like it defines an era in some way. Old Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, she's on her way to Hollywood to work on this. It is 1933. Brad, what's going on in Desi's life in 1933? In 1933. He is literally fleeing Cuba as yep. a as a refugee from the Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah, so it's a very different. They're in diff- very different spots right now in their lives. Yeah, and one's going one's going up, one's going down. One's going up, yeah. one's going down. So she's got her contract. It's creased because she's read it so many times on the train. 
And um, she decides when she shows up at Roman Scandals, she is not going to make the same mistake of being shy. So she's a little more confident in herself. And so uh, they have to line up all these girls in the show line. And she uh, takes this prank that she had seen another girl do where she took like tissue paper and she made it red and she put it all over her face to like look like the measles, which I guess people had all the time then. So <laughs> she decides this will be funny. And so Eddie Cantor's walking the line to meet all the girls and to look them over. Over and she has these measles all over and he starts cracking up and she, he's like, that girl's hilarious. Um, and so she gets this reputation for being funny or at least for being up for things. And so she becomes the girl who is the beautiful girl who will hang out with all these other ones, but she'll take the mud pack in the face and she'll do the physical comedy that none of the other girls will do. And she is more than happy to do that. Daddy issues. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, I, uh, I, maybe a little bit. I don't know. We yeah. we typically avoid the psychologizing. Although when it comes time to do Freud and Jung, we're just going to be completely yeah. savage. Yeah, uh, we're going to do to them what they did to us. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's just interesting. And she's she sounds like she's hungry. She really wants it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. Willing to do what it takes. So uh, during this time, she finally saves up enough. She has enough um, uh, consistent business that she has an income, she has a contract, and she's ready to move her family out. So she sends for her brother, Fred, her mom, and daddy, which is her grandpa, and she buys a house, and they all move out to live with her. So... um, so they're moving there. She's working a lot with Ginger Rogers and her mom, Leela. So Leela and Ginger kind of, Leela's kind of got like a pageant mom dynamic, but she was huge for helping people along. And Lucy says her career would have never happened had it not been for Leela. She taught her how to work with producers, how to work with directors, how to behave herself or conduct herself on sets. She really championed her when people said that they didn't think that they had the right type of role because people don't really know what to do with her. She wasn't the best at any one thing. Mm. And so she was, you know, they were trying to figure out what to do and Leela saw something in her. And so she was a huge part in her life. And later she'll sort of um, give that, pay that forward with um, younger uh, actors and actresses. So right after they move out at 71, um, her grandpa has a stroke. And so around this time, he is becoming really passionate about the working class. Um, he becomes a little hard to handle, a little, you know, just tough for them to deal with. And he was going to the corner um, of their, uh, where they live. And it, there's the call ladies on the corner. And he's basically giving them all the money that they have and saying, here, honey, take the night off. And they take the money and they pocket it and they say, thank you. And then they walk around the block and then they pick up the next guy. So they had to start giving him like a, <sighs> a little bit of money so that he couldn't do this. But he's like a loving guy. He's a great guy, but he's just, he, they're kind of having to take care of him really actively. And he's getting very politically involved. Grandpa has become a simp. Yeah, he's a simp. Yeah. <laughs> he's a simp. He's a, he's like a socialist. He's a tanky simp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And that would, that would, uh, this would cause, cause problems later. Which is, uh, yeah, uh, I believe yeah. I can see. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to end up in, uh, on the wrong side of McCarthy down right. the line. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of my, uh, the last sort of grandpa stories, uh, he was sitting in a rocking chair and he, they had a view of the mountains and he complained there was a tree that was in his way. The tree was parked on the median or between, you know, the sidewalk and the road. So they kept telling him, we can't cut this down. And he was like, it's going to fall down in a rainstorm. You will see. 
So they have a light rain and this tree falls down. It falls right on Lucy's new Studebaker. And when they go out there, they see that someone has cut all of the roots around it and put the sod up over it. Yeah. Not an environmentalist. No. His no. Father, yeah. Okay. This he is believed in direct before. action. Direct mm-hmm. yeah. action. <laughs> yeah, okay. He wants a view. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So Lucy did a lot of smaller stuff. We're not going to hit all of it, but she's doing a bit of everything. She's doing plays. Um, she's doing movies. She's doing a lot of dating. Um, she falls in love with a married producer who wants to marry her. And this ends up backing, backfiring on her because a lot of people are like, you have to say yes to him. You should marry him. She loves him. She says no. And then he just blacklists her. And so this was an area that she's trying to sort of, you know, get back into the right opportunities. And during this time when the movies aren't going so well, she starts doing radio with Jack Benny. And that is one of the things she starts to learn from the most. So she watches how he gets responses from the audience and she starts to learn how different facial features, different things you can do are going to elicit different types of responses and how to get that laugh for the soundtrack. And so um, you know, she's learning from that and then uh, still doing movies and starting to have some more success there. Uh, she begins dating Al Hall, um, who I believe was a producer. He was divorced and 20 years older and, um, but you know, it's not really going anywhere. Um, and then during this whoa, time, so, whoa. so she, she was dating a guy 20 years her senior, 20 years older. Yes. I'm not going to say I'm, I know you're gonna say <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to let it go. But let I it go. Say, okay. Desi yeah. is younger than her. Desi so, is younger than her. Yeah. Okay. As this her right. oh, it, oh, see, and then, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not judging. I'm just, uh, <laughs> we're, we're making radio here. Right. This is show. This. Let's go. In the spirit of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Boom, chicka, boom, 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 chicka, boom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So she's 28. <laughs> I don't know how to wrinkle you guys in. Yep. <laughs> um, she's 28. She's about to meet Desi. We're right. We're about to, the, the, their stories are about to converge here. So she's being groomed to be an A-lister at this time. And so they've got publicity working with her. And she's sent out to New York for a film opening for one of her movies. And while she's there, they tell her to go check out Too Many Girls because they know it's going to be a big show and they think that she might be good for it. So this is when it's still on Broadway. So she goes to check out too many girls. uh, But while she's in New York, she trips while ice skating and she's got her knee all messed up. And so she's like not super mobile. And so uh, she's at the show and she sees Desi start laughing and something magical happens. She he makes her laugh and she's like entranced by him. So afterwards, uh, they ask where she wants to go out. And so she says, Lakanga, because she's hoping that she can beat him. He ended up being off that night, so they never met at that point. So she goes back to Hollywood, and she's cast in Dance Girl Dance, uh, which is the show where she gets into the fight with Maureen O'Hara and meets Desi. And um, according to Lucy, once they finally went to dinner after he sees her in her normal clothes, uh, she claims that she fell in love in five minutes. Mm, Yeah. And they had quite... And it was... was, Excuse me, it was very kind of fast for both of them, right? So uh, I think what how what it was two months after they met, they were married. Is that right? It's a very short period of time. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I think two months after they, they, they were, they met, they, they got eloped and it's the yeah. only way to do it. Yeah, Rip just off do the it. <laughs> yep. If you're yeah. not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing to think about, and, 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 and this is true for Lucille too. I mean, she was, she was a, she was a beautiful woman, very attractive, a lot of people, very charismatic and, you know, easy to go along with and, and fun and all that. So she was very attractive and had a lot of suitors, but Desi, had a lot too you know he was this band leader guy you know lucy had kind of a thing for him before he even was aware of her right so he was he was constantly bringing uh women were constantly sort of in his life um and uh i think in that that home movies documentary uh lucy jr lucy and desi's daughter describe it describes it as like yeah everybody wanted desi but my mom got him kind of situation right like and, and not just you know as a semi-famous guy or you know he had his pick and, and she had her pick too so the fact that they kind of came together was 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 kind of special and the thing about them too is so on the on the show on i love lucy they're kind of this you know part of the 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 comedy of the show is she's I don't know, Joey, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the comedy of the show is that she's a little dumb. Would you say she's kind of dumb in the show? Is that fair? Or is it maybe that's not the word? She's always got a plan that's clearly not going to work. Is, is yeah. it more hapless? Would you describe her as maybe hapless? Ha- maybe hapless. Like harebrained. Yeah. Harebrained. Yeah. Endearing. Right. Endearingly. But, yeah. but sweet, you know, like, and, and he's kind of a, he's kind of a typical guy, but he's, he's got his, he tolerates it and they very much, he very much loves her and she very much loves him. And that's kind of how the show is. I, I just want to interject because I feel like this is a good moment for me to say, uh, I'm again, I'm in my conga Miami studio (laughs) and I have to go and get a cable uh, for, for a technical reason. But I think as I go, it would be great if you two, could you think of maybe like a top episode or a couple of episodes that I haven't seen talk amongst yourselves and then I'll, and then I'll come back in like two minutes. I'm going to got to go get this cable or else we're going to cut out. I'll be back. Okay. Okay. You want us to talk about episodes? Yeah, figure out figure out an episode that you want to regale me oh, with because I do not oh. know I love okay, Lucy okay. at all, gotcha. hardly at all. Gotcha. Okay, I'll be right back. All right, we're going to conspire. So, uh, I don't know, Julie, what, what's an episode that sticks out for you? I've got a couple. Well, I mean, I think that the Lucy has a baby, or I don't remember the exact title of yeah, it. Yeah, Lucy is. goes to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Lucy goes to the hospital is a yeah, big that's, one. That's a big one. This tuna, this tuna fishing one is is hilarious, kind of hilarious to me. But I, I don't think I've actually seen it. I did read about it, but it sounds hilarious. Yeah, I don't remember that one that well. Did you see the um, loving cup one where she gets the trophy stuck on her head? No. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you were watching that with us. No, nah, I might. I don't. It doesn't ring a bell. There's the Bob Hope, the one where they go and sit by Bob Hope at the baseball game is is quite hilarious. Uh, the one where she tries to un- be an undercutter with meat at the butcher shop. Is oh, pretty that, hilarious. One's that one's a good one. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Yeah. And and I, I was able to listen to you as I was. Oh, okay. Okay. Around, but I like that it immediately goes into, oh, the one where, yes. it's just like Seinfeld, the one oh, yeah. where, Yep. Yeah, they're these simple concepts that they blow up into 20 minutes of 
hilarity. Oh, oh yeah, and they're they're, and, mm-hmm. they're they're really fun. They're 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 put together in a really funny way where you can kind of see what's where it's gonna go wrong, but you're 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 compelled. You know, it's it's it, like there's part an of episode. the humor is that you're you're ahead of it. You know right. what's gonna happen. Exactly. But that's, yeah. Right. Yeah, you don't yeah. know how it's gonna happen. Right. And yeah. You're gonna you're gonna tell yeah. me about it. So I'm there's sure. a great one where Lucy and and correct me if I'm I'm missing it, but the the kind of the premise is that Lucy. Um, she obtains a bunch of cheap meat or something. She gets like a good deal on meat or I'm not sure exactly she, why they, she has They get meat. a freezer and yeah. she buys too much. She thinks that like a half a cow is like... Is not that much meat. Yeah, so they okay. bring... Yeah. So they have a bunch of meat in this freezer and she doesn't want Desi to know that she's... A lot of it... Because they spend stuff, a ton of money on it. Right, right. A lot of this stuff, because it's, it's the early 50s, a lot of the humor comes from Lucy doing something that's a little, you know silly or whatever and she doesn't want to get caught by desi right that's the whole you got a lot of a ex- lot of explaining to do that's what it all comes from is she's frequently you know she's getting hoodwinked by a vacuum a vacuum salesman in one episode which is pretty <laughs> hilarious but anyway she buys all this meat and she's trying to get rid of it so her and her friend uh ethel go to the butcher shop and they're trying to sell it to people like in the front door of the butcher <laughs> shop. Right. Right? It's like they're selling loose cigarettes in right. front of us. Right. Yeah, that's right. hilarious. And then they then they bring it back and then and they get it back in the freezer and Desi wants to go down to the freezer. So she's got to put it someplace in the, in the bottom of their apartment building. So she puts it in the furnace. <laughs> right. Isn't that how it works? She puts it in the yeah. furnace. And then at some point, she gets stuck in the freezer, she gets stuck in the freezer. She gets locked into the freezer. And the reason that they ca- they come down and save her, I think, is because the furnace turns on, which heats the entire apartment building. And Fred, the neighbor, is like, oh, so it smells like somebody's having a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> and they run right. down and save her. Right. So there's always this, there's always like a plot or a. a Calling it a scheme makes it sound sinister, but there's always like a that's always yeah, no, that's, kind of an that's aspect. Right. Yeah, a scheme. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and she's always yeah. she's frequently in costume. Um, she's uh, there was an episode um, where uh, they um, her uh, so the the, the 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 neighbors Fred and Ethel are like the counterpoint, and they're in every episode basically. And there's an episode where the two men. Desi and Fred, who are good friends in the show, and Ethel and Lucy, who are also good friends, they they pit against each other. They bet on who can catch the largest tuna, right? And they so they're out fishing, and they both they both catch a big tuna. But then the problem is they realize that they're not paired up very well because either way, if you win the bet, you got to pay out, right? Like your your husband or your spouse is on the other team so there's like no way to win this bet basically is, is uh-huh. the thing. so they bring these two huge tunas to hide them from each other back and they put them in the bathtubs of the respective apartments and there's just like a whole sneaking around of like running to the other tub and the tuna's there but you think it's your tuna and it's just like this comedy of errors running between there hallways seems to be a, a yeah. lot of anxiety around protein in these episodes <laughs> yeah, we, it's true to life and people have anxiety about where are you going to get your protein right right mm. um well we'll get to a couple other episodes as we get because we're not quite at the I love the show I love Lucy. Okay, I, I didn't but, mean to, but this is no, great. No, no, so they've this is met good, and okay, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're so they've met, they've met, they're married. Oh, I'm talking about the relationship. I wanted to just fully kind of uh, I want to lay out what the relationship was like. So yeah, they're not married. Yeah, I mean, well, I can kind of talk about what goes into them getting married. I can do it kind of briefly. Okay, yeah. 
so they go out to El Morocco in New York and they decide, are we going to be together? Or are we not? And they decide that night that they cannot be together. She's bothered that he's younger than she is. And uh, he wants to marry somebody who's Catholic or he wants his mom to, or his mom's going to want to. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I was getting at that because she is not yeah. a member of the one true faith. Right. So it's very yeah. important that you know, right. And she wasn't really particularly convicted about anything in life. So she wasn't yeah. really, you know, strong in one religion or, you know, political party, anything like that. So uh, she leaves for a Midwest tour and Desi's just, you know, they decide they're not going to be together. You'd think that they had broken up and he's calling her more than ever. So uh, she does a interview with magazine about why I will never, why I will always be a bachelor girl says she's never going to marry. And, uh, he calls her and says, we're open tonight. So she said, <laughs> yeah, he said, he said that journalist was going to have a real problem with that story. Right. Yeah. I think it's what he said. Hasn't even, hasn't even yeah. been published yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, they go to Connecticut, they get married, and her mother and her uh, friend and maid, Harriet, um, who uh, worked with her or for her for 28 years, um, hear the news on the radio. And so uh, they've been married for about two minutes, and the fighting begins. Uh, Desi's very old school. He's very possessive. And uh, he, she's, she needs to go get on a taxi. He says, no wife of mine is going to take a taxi around New York. And she said, you sure are uh, possessive as hell all of a sudden. And she said that her friends gave the marriage six months and she gave it a week. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> this is, these are very interesting people. Yeah. <laughs> yep. it's yeah. Just, and showbiz relationships are, they're wild. I, I have some friends who are uh, who are actors, and he I don't know how well he's he's doing a show in D.C. She's going to be in a different state for months, yep. and it's not easy. And for people who who make that work, there has to be a real bond. And I respect people who can make it work, but it's it's just not a normal lifestyle. It's just yeah. not. It's not like no, the guy has the nine five and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and their relationship was much like that too. They would spend a lot of time apart because they were working on they were working on different projects. She was on different shows he, than him, and and but you know they were and they were. This is the other thing about it. So they they were both like madly in love with each other, you know, in almost a storybook kind of way. But they were also both insanely jealous. So. Your, their relationship early on is happening mostly over the phone, and a lot of it is just accusing each other of sleeping with people. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, like, like an example is like, well, and, and Desi probably was is the thing, but it's not clear, you know, who exactly and when exactly. But you know, he's he's at a show and he'll be in a show with with you know with girls dancing on stage. So of course, Lucy's getting jealous about that. Too many girls. Too many girls. That's how, how he met her, right? So, <laughs> so, and then, and then, you know, she's on a, sh she's doing shows and, and, you know, she's on, on, on screen and there's articles written about her and things. And she, there's one time she's doing some kind of um, event in Milwaukee, I think it is, and, or Kansas City. It might be Milwaukee. Anyway, she's there for a couple of days and there's a photograph in the newspaper of her with the young, handsome mayor of that city. And she ends up staying there a few days. And Desi calls her up and like accuses her of sleeping with this mayor just because there's a photo of her with him. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> neither of Wait, them. Hey, hey. 
Yeah. Newspapers were the original social media. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you think about Twitter. Twitter is just an interactive tabloid. That's Things true. have not changed as much as we know. No, no, no. But, so they would. So the, their early relationship was a lot of this, like not actually being together. A lot of, um, you know, to be generous about it. It's a lot of anxiety about losing the other person. Right. To put it not so generous. It's a lot of just like out and out jealousy. Um, and, you know, they'd call up and they'd have these terrible fights. There's this great there's this great anecdote he tells about um he, I think, is in a hotel. I, don't, I can't remember exactly where they were, but just imagine they're both, you know, they're both all over the place all the time early on in their relationship, right? As he's he's trying to do his thing and she's trying to do her thing. Um, there's they would have so many phone calls, and back then you had an actual operator make your connections, right? Like there were there was a there was a, a middle point where there was actually a human between two ends of the phone, and um, either he was in a hotel or she was in a hotel, but. Anyway, the operators would listen in on their phone calls, especially oh. as time went on. They were becoming more and more well known, right? Lucille, mm. Lucille was becoming the queen of the B movies. This is all through the '40s, and 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 uh, Desi's becoming, you know, quite well known as a band leader and all these things. And um, they would call. They would call. They would have a fight. You know, call, accuse each other of terrible things, say terrible names, and then they would hang up. And then a few minutes later, one or the other of them would call back, right? And say, I'm sorry what I said. You know, I love you, baby, all that kind of stuff. Make Try to make up. Now, one time they had this argument and that didn't happen. The other one didn't call back, right? So some amount of time passes, 10 minutes pass, 15 minutes pass. And the operator calls Lucy and says, Lucy, you got to call him back. You know, he feels terrible right now. Like, just just call him back. Tell him you love him. It's all going to be okay. That is hilarious. <laughs> right. It's almost it's like a soap opera that's playing out, and these poor this poor operator is right. listening. Can you believe this? Yeah, right. Right. you two belong together. Right. You know, one thing I've noticed with these two is that they both came from this really disrupted adolescence and childhood. Yeah, there was a lot of upheaval. Right. So you could see that show business and the moving around and everything might be where they feel at home. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it yeah. it makes you feel like that's natural, but then also, you know, you're also missing out on sort of the other half of life, you know? Like, right. And then yeah. it would be natural that the show then would be this sort of send up of married, ha- you know, happy married life. Yeah. And well, let's, uh, let's kind know. of, well, let's kind of move into that. Cause I guess we're getting into that period. Um, so, um, Lucille Ball's making movies. I think I saw, I read that by 1950, she had been in 60 movies. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah. And, and whoa. And a, yeah. She was the queen of the B movies. That's what they called her, right? So she never had a starring role in a big, successful, you know, film that people really remember now, but she had um, a range of size of parts in a lot of in a lot of movies obviously just a working actor yeah. i'll show up on the set i'll do whatever you want i'll read the lines and pay me and she she's a studio gal right i mean well, Goldwyn, yeah everyone's contracted yeah, yeah so yeah. she's yeah yeah took her yeah. salary yeah she was contracted yeah. to rko and was it rko when she did the big street yes is that right okay yep. yeah so that was uh that was her attempt at sort of a breakout role she starred in this film called the big street with henry fonda and uh it was a kind of an acclaimed performance it was more of a dramatic performance um she's 
she plays like a I think she becomes disabled in the movie or she plays a disabled character who's in a wheelchair. Yeah, she I I think she I don't remember if she uh when it happens, but for the majority yeah. of the film she's in a wheelchair. She's right. So a terrible yeah. person. Right. And she's a terror the, the character is a terror. Yeah. And so it was a great performance that that many people respected, but the money the, it didn't make any money, right? It wasn't yeah. a hit. And so she gets let go of her RKO contract. And then you know, it's very things are very disrupted. Um, Desi had made an attempt to have a film career, and after too many girls, it kind of fizzled out. Um, he spent some time in the army or he spent some time in the military in World War II, but he didn't see any combat or anything. But that was a stressor on the relationship. They'd in also 19- had their first um, their first miscarriage. Oh, that's right. Yeah. In that, 1942. 1942, they had a, wow. a miscarriage, which was which was which was hard. And then 1944. Um, just after uh, Desi got out of the military, uh, Lucy filed for divorce, right? So this is, I love Lucy. The show doesn't start until 19, 19, in the early 50s. 1944, she files for a divorce. And um, basically, there's something, there was something in California law at that time where if you, uh, you, had, uh, if you had knowledge of each other, let's call it, in the first year of that period, your divorce was null and void, right? Something like you couldn't, it didn't finalize or something like this. Wait, so if you, if you are divorced, but then you, you do the conga within yeah. a year after, boom, chicka, boom, boom. Yeah. If you do that within yeah. a year after, the divorce didn't take. Something like that. Yeah. And it, I don't that know that is wild. Right. That is what? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just more like a cooling off period. Like it's more just like we're going to leave this period of time so that nobody changes their minds. I don't uh, think people were breaking okay. into people's bedrooms and trying to catch them in the ass. Right. Darn. Right. 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 Mm. And that uh, would be a great episode of I Love Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> is, but, it, is, is it just me or does it smell like tuna in here? Right. Oh, boy. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm talking about the episode with the fish. Yeah, the right. I know. I know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, but yeah, but so she tried to do that. And literally, I think it was like the morning she was going to go to court uh, to to do the, like the next phase of paperwork the night before he, you know, he took her out and they had a lovely romantic evening that, you know, ended the way many of their evenings in person ended. So these um, are not uh, actor types who are capable of keeping the drama on stage. These are people whose lives are kind of a mess, I'd say even while they're being... Yeah. I'd say that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. They were, you know, they were passionate people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, for sure. You know, they had they had feelings and they weren't afraid to, afraid to show them. Um, and I guess now we can maybe talk about why... Oh, there's a there's a bit to show you how, how hard this relationship was to maintain. And then we'll talk about the advent of I love Lucy. Um, there was a bit when they were living in California where she's reporting to RKO in, at six o'clock in the morning. I think she had to be there at six o'clock in the morning. Um, and they had this ranch. Is this when they had the ranch, the, the whole meeting at the top of the hill thing, Jolie? Yeah, they had a ranch in the San Fernando Valley. It was okay. called Desi Lou, and it was about yeah. 45 minutes from where all of the filming would be yeah. and where Desi would do his short shows. Yeah, so there was a thing where he was playing shows at night at a nightclub, 
and um, she had to report at six in the morning, right? And he's playing until two in the morning or three in the morning or whatever. And so the only time that they would spend in the day is is on this hill that was part of their mutual commute. They would they would meet at the on this hill, and they would you know hang out for a minute and have a kiss and have a cigarette and check in with each other. And then he'd go home and pass out, and she'd go she'd go into work for the day. Wow. So there's an extended period of time where that was that was their life. Um, and, and Desi, you know, also when Desi wasn't working, Desi was partying, you know, he was out, he was out on the town. He, you know, may or may not have been involved with a number of women who knows exactly when and and how and who, but definitely there was definitely some stepping out. Um, and, uh, you know, drinking and he likes to gamble you know, he, he wasn't curtailing any of that behavior either. So not only are you not even, you know, uh, you're on radically different schedules, you've got radically different lifestyles you're trying to live at the same time. So, yeah. Um, so, and then in what year was, what year was, uh, Lucy L U C I E born? Joey. Yeah. So she's, um, going to be born in a little bit. Um, they find out they're pregnant with her once they've already got Isle of Lucy arranged. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. So anyway, um, kind of quick story on, on how Isle of Lucy comes to be. Um, uh, Lucille was in a show, um, called my favorite husband, a a radio show called my favorite husband. And it was quite popular. Um, they wanted to turn it into a TV show with the the the, the male co-star of my favorite husband. What was his name? I, I, Richard Denning. Richard Denning, right? So you know, and, and, and with another actor. And Lucille said she didn't want to do it unless Desi could be the husband, could be the my favorite husband. See, this is interesting because we're back to the imaginary friend being made real, but it's That's the other way around. We yeah. have the real yeah. husband being made into the imaginary husband. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they, you know, there are a few reasons for doing it. One, she wanted to keep an eye on him and yep. she didn't want him working somewhere else. Yep. Two, she, she wanted to actually get pregnant and they couldn't do it when they were living in different places. So she kind of wanted to have like her family and like all together and her career. And this whole thing is like, do I pick my career or my family? And ultimately she ended up picking her career the whole time. Yeah. But this was her way of trying to kind of have it all, uh, which she eventually got. Yeah. 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 And, and now the, that doesn't sound like a big deal, right? You've got, uh, you, she wants her husband to be in it. Great. He's a guy with some acting experience and you know, he's, he's not just a rando off the street. We can do it. Problem is, He's a Cuban with a thick Cuban accent, and she's an all-American blue-eyed girl, and it's 1950. Right, so that's a tough pill to swallow for producers, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the way that they so because of this resi- resistance, Desi and Lucy and Desi kind of came up with this idea. Well, we'll do some shows, some stage shows. And we'll show them how much people like this. So, so they kind of incorporated her into Desi's uh, touring band act um, and did like little vaudeville skits in between songs. And she would sing and dance and do clown bits and all of it. And they got to show off their chemistry and people loved it. So that was that convinced that convinced the producers that putting Desi on I Love Lucy was a good See, idea. 
That's so funny because it's the producers who are racist. Right. It's not the <laughs> it's audience. Not the audience right? The producers <laughs> have an idea. So maybe that tells you something about the producers right. and their their projection of the idea of things. And that goes on to this day. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's true. Yeah, there's uh yeah, people craved it. And and you gotta admit, they did a show with a with a Cuban guy and a uh, blue-eyed american woman and it was a massive hit right like audiences loved it so what were the producers where are the producers getting this idea that you uh, we can't do that right interesting like, yeah, yeah. coming up with it's in their own head it bothers them mm. yeah yeah so yeah so now we're kind of in the i love lucy era um, yeah, I, I just have one thing real quick. So yep. while they were on that tour for vaudeville, um, their apartment that they were staying in was yeah. robbed. And so the police came and they're looking. She had a 42 carat aquamarine wedding ring and it was stolen. And when she realized it was stolen, she threw up in the bathroom. So oh. the next day she took a pregnancy test, but she used her hairdresser's name because at the time the press was monitoring pregnancy test results to find out like, you know, who is pregnant and post it. And so the next day she was listening to Walter Winchell and somehow they had managed to figure out it was her. And she found out that she was pregnant on the radio. Wait, 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 wait. How are they able to monitor pregnancy tests? What is this? Because it's 1949. Oh, man. Right. So you would have to go in into the hospital. You're an an A-list celebrity. You're a household name, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so they're going to monitor and they're going to say you're... You're knocked up. Wow. Yeah, I wild. bet you the nurses, I bet you the nurses did more of the reporting out than they, anybody had to yeah. do effort to get them. Right. Right. They, they probably, get, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Sure. For any yeah. good information. Yeah. Ooh, well, and it's funny. Okay. There's a funny story. And, and this tells you how much this and the operator story, right? About it tells you how much this relationship between them wasn't just theirs in a way, right? Their whole yeah. family, the boundaries between their family and the rest of the world's kind of blurry. And after, and the I Love Lucy just makes that worse. Um, there is a funny story though about Walter Winchell, who was like the, the voice of the news at that time. When they reported it, Desi said, well, Walter's saying it, it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Walter Winchell right. for Chesterfield. Right. And I'm here to report that Lucille Ball is pregnant. Right, right. Uh, that's a fact. We'll be back. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. What a what a world. Right. Uh, you know, it's so funny because doing this show, you go, so much has changed. So little yep. has changed. Right. Here we are trapped in this popular loop. Yeah, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. And, um, you know. I the I love Lucy thing. It's interesting because it's a bit of a gamble. Um, it's very early TV days. Like I don't think it's possible for anybody who's you know our generation or even a little older. I think it's very difficult to understand what TV was in the early fifties. Not that many people even had television, right? Nobody really understood what the medium even was, right? Like. Is this a fluke? Is it a fad? It's, they're doing variety shows. They're trying to figure out what works. Right, right. And nobody yeah. nobody really knows, you know. And and Lucy at that time, she had had good success in the B, uh, in the B films, right? She'd had a good career, but she's starting to get a little bit older. And so that star's kind of fading, right? She gets let go from RKO after the big street. Um, 
and in her yeah her stars kind of it's kind of over and so not i don't want to say over it's not like she would have never gotten a role again but it started making the move to television started to seem like maybe it was something you could do right it even though an agent might try and talk her out of it it wasn't it wasn't ridiculous though you know five years earlier it would have been unheard of for somebody like her to have done to make to make that move so this is a period where to go to television would have seemed to be almost like a retreat yeah you're you're being sent to pass and there was a period where that was the case too in the 80s it was there was a stink on television you weren't uh it wasn't movies of course now that's that's been flipped but right uh, right yeah okay that's good to know yeah so um yeah, I mean, and, and I can't help I, trying to express the phenomenon that the show would become. So um, there's, and we're going to talk more of the technical business side and what's going on in their personal lives through this somewhat. But the one thing I just tried to get across to people, how big of a deal this was, how big of a deal this show was. It was such a big deal that department stores started closing at airtime of I Love Lucy. Like, Marshall Fields and Macy's would close at nine o'clock on Monday because that's when I Love Lucy came on the air. Wow. Um, Nobody uh, has a VCR. Nobody's recording this. Can't record it. Um, There were, Hmm. you know, municipal water departments would like see a dip in in how much water needed to be provided. Things like that. Right. Like it was like a (laughs) civic level event every Monday. (laughs) Wow. The most popular episode of I Love Lucy had was watched by 44 million people. Get out. Okay. This is at a time when there was 195 million people in the country. So literally Mm. as a ratio, more people watched this episode of I Love Lucy than watched the Super Bowl. It's just like that YouTube video said, this is the satanic Hollywood elite (laughs) (laughs) planting their Luciferian. I'm kidding. That's amazing. Right. More people. So more people. Yeah. Right. 44 million. It's like one out of every five. Like one out of five people watched it. Yeah. And and now we have a hundred basically a hundred percent TV households have TVs basically. Right. Back then, it was not 100%. I think it was 40 to 50% of... So it was an event. Aired. You would go over to your uncle's yeah. or you would... Yeah, wow. Sure, hmm. yeah. And everybody watched it. You know, they're, like, if you had a TV, you watched it. And, and, and part of it, you know, obvi- definitely part of it was there wasn't as many options, for sure. But at the same time, people absolutely loved the show. You know, it was an event. They saw themselves in it. You know, they right. aspired to it. They, you know, every everything. It meant it meant a great well, we're gonna, deal to many people. When we take over politically, we're going to go back to this and recreate a, a monoculture. <laughs> You're going to need a license to podcast. <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be in the art of darkness Reich. There's going to yeah. be three podcasts airing <laughs> consecutively, and we'll be one yeah. of them. Right. Then, <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone will yeah. have to listen to those. It, it's incredible to think, though, how different that was yeah. from, from where we are now, where yeah. there's choice is it's too yeah. much choice. It's almost too yeah. much choice. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Um, Julie, if we, you, I think maybe you've got some things about kind of Lucille's life during this time, during the actual time of the show of I Love Lucy. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the most um, relevant, you know, is probably things are going well. Um, she has, do you want to jump to, I mean, she has another baby. Yeah. So yeah. she. So we can kind of hit on that and then we can backtrack into some of the other technical pieces. So sure. yeah. um, in May 1952, she finds out that she's pregnant again and they assume that the show's over. Um, and so they let Jess Oppenheimer, who was, um, the, the head writer of the show, they're like, look, you know, we're done. And so he's like, why, why are we done? Why don't we try it? So they pitched it to CBS and I don't remember exactly. So, so CBS was on the fence. Philip Morris was not on board. They said, nobody's going to want to be able to accept that somebody's pregnant on TV. And this was like the moral side of things. Like you can't show a pregnant woman on TV. Yeah. So they wow. ended up um, they ended up having a team of three religious um, uh, people come in and read every single script. So it was a rabbi, it was a Catholic priest, and then do you remember what the third Brad? Um, There's a rabbi. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It was a Catholic priest or rabbi and a member of the like member of the satanic temple. It was Anton LaVey. It was <laughs> Alistair Crowley himself came and approved. I saw it on the YouTube. Uh, no, no, no. I bet it was it was probably a Protestant. Minister I think it was a Protestant or minister or, yeah. or somebody from the like ecumenical council or something. But yeah, three three sure. major religious leaders. Yeah. Again, it sounds like a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know. <laughs> and I guess that they all became friends and they would like go to lunch and just talk shop like religious shop while they were at lunch, which is very charming. I really like that idea. It would almost <laughs> be like a cool sitcom in and of itself. The religious advisors to a show like right? hanging out. Yeah, there's something there is something charming about that for sure. So they actually, so so they ended up saying, yes, you can do it, but you can't say pregnant on TV. So they they called it uh, Lucy is expecting, which was right. funny because Desi couldn't say expecting, so it was expecting. Yeah. And uh, so that was how they referred to it. And they did a whole season uh, with her pregnant. And so a couple things came in um, kind of magically alchemied into this sort of event that was huge, which is one, uh, her C-section, uh, her doctor, so she had a C-section with um, Lucy, so she had to have one with Rick, uh, De Desi Jr. So uh, he did them on Mondays, and the show aired on Mondays. So the only thing that they didn't know is if it was a girl or a boy. So they, they picked boy for the TV plot, and they ended up having a boy. Um, and it turned out that more people watched the birth of, uh, little Ricky Desi Jr. than the inauguration of Eisenhower the following day. So, uh, she now has two kids and she's pregnant on the show. First woman to ever be at this level in comedy, first person to be pregnant on the show. Um, and so, uh, the big piece, the big other hallmark event in her life at this time is the communist scare. So uh, Grandpa Fred's, uh, you know, sort of efforts are, are now coming full circle. So do you want me to jump into those, Brad? Yeah, I yeah, let's talk about that. In a second. I, one thing I want to talk a, a little bit of, about the the birth of um, it's Desi Jr. Yeah. in real life and Ricky on the show. Um, so it, it, Kevin, you brought up a good point as the producers push back on something and the audience ends up loving it. 
it was the same with this. The producers pushed back. We can't have a pregnant woman on. We can't have a pregnant woman on TV. That's scandalous, right? And they were making, and they're, you know, they're trying to figure out how to keep the show going. Desi has this sensibility of like, what do you mean? It's a show about a family. What do families do? They have kids. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? We can't have a pregnant woman on TV. The the, the good Catholic man, and he's right. right. Yeah, he's one hundred percent right. right. He's, yeah, that's what a family's for. Everybody knows what a family's like. <laughs> yeah, what are we hiding here? Right, right, yeah, right. So, anyway, I just wanted to kind of touch, and then there was that sort of magic of them guessing. Just we're going to make for the sake of the show, we're going to call it a boy because we got to record this before we broadcast it, and then her actually having a boy basically at the exact same time that the show is being aired. There's this again, this kind of blurring of real life and the TV show for sure. Um, you know, so on the show, everybody, you know, the day after the show, everybody's waking up like, oh, my God, did you see I Love Lucy last night? Yeah. And she actually had a boy like, you know, it's 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 very it's like this magical event. And again, going back to that, that imaginary friend, the real mm-hmm. friend, this weird blurring of realities. It, it reminds me a little bit of Disney where he mm-hmm. a- animated himself into the or or mix the animations with with the real world yeah uh yeah. there's that kind of that that strange thing i do wonder to be sympathetic to the producers i do wonder if there was a sense of not wanting to be exploitative possibly about yeah, that, the child that that yeah. might have been and I, you know i don't know that we have access to the exact conversations i mean in the movie so there's a film right now out um with biopic by aaron sorkin uh called being the ricardos that just came out last month um it's I would say it's pretty good. Um, Do they talk really fast and have monologues as they're wandering down hallways trying uh, to solve their problems? They do. They do a few times. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> um, and I bet they. I bet they solve their problems uh, and in the end uh, learn a lesson. Yeah, there's a lesson learned at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Did you watch yeah. it? Yeah, we watched it. Julie and I okay. watched it. Yeah, yeah. great, uh, great writer. Uh, the, the Social yeah. Network is one of the greatest films yeah. ever made. Yeah, and it it, it, it was quite good. Um, Nicole Kidman was an interesting choice to play Lucille Ball. Um, Javier, Bardem, Javier Bardem plays Desi Arnaz. Doesn't look like him at all, but does a phenomenal job, I thought. Um, wow, uh, how did this fly under my radar? I had not even heard about You have this. too many options. We've lost the ah, monoculture, Kevin. Right. Well, we're part of darkness. Yeah. We are bringing back the monoculture. Yeah. We're, if we're if 17 it. people watch something now, it's a hit. You know, it used to be. <laughs> don't, don't give away our numbers, Brad. <laughs> don't lift the skirt, buddy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to touch on that, and then yeah, now now in this cultural milieu, the we also have the it's the McCarthy era. We have the the Red Scare going on, and and that does not leave the Arnezes unscathed. So. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1952, uh, the FBI had talked to Lucy about possible communist connections. And she's, it was, this was a little bit before things got nuts. And she told them what she knew. She had been registered as a communist because her grandpa had a friend who was running for city council on the communist ticket. And all he wanted was for people to vote for his friend. So to make him happy, this is after a stroke. She, her mom, her brother all signed up a communist. She never actually ended up uh, voting at all for his family friend because she had some, she had to work that day. 
Yeah, so, she had registered as a communist, right? Correct. Yeah. For uh, that election. Yeah. That is the most ironic way to miss your vote as a communist is because you're at work. Right? <laughs> I have to labor today so I cannot go and vote for the party of labor. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So she, this was a year ago. So she thought this was over. And um, this was right after she'd won two Emmys um, in 1953, one as Best Comedy Actress and one for the Best Comedy Show. And so one of the things about Lucy is every time something's going well, she's convinced that something terrible is about to happen. So this is the thing. So she gets this (laughs) call from William A. Wheeler, who's the investigator for the House on American Activities Committee and asks for a closed meeting with her, her brother and her mom. So she, uh, they're, they're opening this all up again and she's, you know, said it's cleared, but it's obvious that they're not okay with that. So, uh, this is when she's about to start filming the, I don't know if it was the second or the third season, but they're about a week away. So, uh, she's at home. And if you watch the movie, everything, a lot of it takes place between Monday and Friday. So the thing about I Love Lucy was that their production schedule, I mean, it was basically a live show every Friday. And Brad, you'll get into this and how it was produced, but on Mondays they would start rehearsals. And on Friday, the audience would come in and they would do the show and they would film it. So there's this whole week as it unfolds and she hears Walter Winchell um, while listening to the radio again. uh, This is just the story of her life. uh, Which top redheaded television comedian has been confronted with her membership in the Communist Party? So the big thing here is that it doesn't really matter whether or not she did or didn't, right? At this point, once she becomes blacklisted and Hollywood doesn't think that she's going to be successful, like that can be it. And that is what they had seen a lot of. And so uh, this just keeps spiraling. The news medias uh, keep picking it up and they're hoping it'll blow over because they've been told by the FBI and the House on American Activities Committee that she's signed. And so uh, on Thursday, it hits uh, the New York Journal. And on Friday, the LA Herald Express prints a front page ad with three inch headline, Lucille Ball named Red. So they think that the show's done for the second time. First time was her pregnancy. This time it's for real. So uh, they don't know how the show is going to go. It's a few hours before the show and it's going to go one of two ways. Um, Either they're going to hold a press conference um, during that time and just talk about what happened or they're going to do the show as planned. And they, they basically needed to make sure that the audience was bought in to whatever was happening. So Desi, they were hoping that it would come from the government, that they didn't need to be the ones to try and convince anyone. So Desi ends up demanding uh, that it be addressed. And uh, California State Rep Donald Jackson holds a uh, press conference. I can't talk press conference at his house at 6 p.m. I don't remember if the show started filming at 7 or at 8 and so Desi says, you know, he, he, he's the one who, who got the crowd going. He was very, you know, he kind of t- treated it like his nightclub. So he comes out to the audience. He says, Lucy's been cleared. And um, what they really said about this whole thing, um, many people have said that they really ended up, they were trying to find a model uh, that they could bring down. And they kind of ended up picking the fight with the wrong person. She was too beloved. 
and she was, people couldn't assume anything bad about her. And so it really did end up kind of quieting down this entire Hollywood um, red listing effort. And so uh, just wanted to read a quick quote, quote from Jack Gould of the New York Times. He said, the courteous and fair treatment which she has been accorded should not be unique, but rather should become standard for cases of this kind. Broadcasting should study Miss Ball's case to see whether it does not provide a formula for handling its loyalty problem with far more maturity and equity than previously have been displayed. The procedure that is available to the biggest star should also be available to the bit player in some similar trouble. Mm. Yeah. They picked on the wrong tuna. They did. <laughs> well, they did. It's it's people loved her there. I mean, there were people who said there were everyday people who said like, well, if she's a communist, I'm going to I'm moving to Russia. Right. Like so people love people loved her too much. And then the accusation was too thin. And what ended up being that she she just signed a thing to make her grandpa happy. Right. Yeah, so. Right. So, so, so even her, even her brush with the red menace had this quality of Americana and family and grandpa's right. sipping for the, uh, the quarter girls. And I'm just trying to, <laughs> right. I'm just trying to just make trying my grandpa happy. Just trying to put yeah. a, just trying to put a smile on his face before he passes <laughs> off this earth. You know, what's more yeah, wholesome yeah. than that? So yeah. Sure. So it didn't work for a number of reasons, but you know, the, you got to think too, you've got, you've got uh, Desi in there whose life had been ruined by communism. Right. Um, he I, I think he was probably furious at the accusation. Right. Because in a way he's in a way, there's nobody more American than Desi Arnaz <laughs> in terms of our mythos as a country, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a crazy a kind of a crazy moment, re- really. Um, I think it's so interesting because we're still talking about these things like equity and there are mm-hmm. witch hunts still now. Again, things change. Everything stays the same. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, you know, yeah, the sides flip flop sometimes and all that. Did but- she have to put up a fight, Jolie, or was it more that the the industry behind her backed her? Do you have, well, do we have those? It's interesting that you ask that because, you know, this is where the dynamic of her and Desi really, I think, uh, becomes succinct. I mean, he was the one who fought for her and he mm-hmm. did in many different areas. And it wasn't like he had to, it's, you know, he's putting effort in it, but he just kind of had it handled. Yeah. He knew the right people. He knew what to do and he had that determination and he got it done. And, and that was one of the things that I think she loved about him the most yeah well this is and this is in in this ties into what we're going to talk about i think i'll I'll segue into talking about the technical brilliance of i love lucy from a production standpoint for a little bit but this is a good segue talking about how desi's kind of handling this thing um going back to the pregnancy scare pregnancy thing when the producers didn't want to do it part of the way they convinced them how to how to uh, part of the way that desi and lucy convinced the producers that it was okay to do is they were making a lot of money right for cbs and for their for their advertisers and that kind of big hit and so desi basically wrote a wrote a letter to the or telegram or whatever to the head of uh i think it was either the head of cbs or the head of philip morris i think it might have been the head of philip morris oftentimes these shows were supported by one or two advertisers right and he basically said you know um Okay, if you're going to tell us we can't do this, um, that's fine. But we ask that um, if you're going to tell us what we can't do, that from now on, you tell us everything that we have to do, that we should do. Like basically, okay, if you're not going to let us do this, then you have to write the show for us. 
right? It was like a throwing down a thing. It was basically saying like, we've made all of this money for you. And if you're going to tell us we can't do this, then it's your show. Now you tell us what to do. And then we're going to do that, right? That's not going to work. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a gamble. Right. And then the letter came down from, I think it was the head of Philip Morris to, to the CBS producers that said, um, you know, agreed to let them do the pregnancy thing and said, you know, don't, don't F with the Cuban. <laughs> Don't mess with this guy, right? He's going to outwit you. This guy gonna brought the money. conga line to the United States. Yeah, you know, he's a yeah, force. Yeah, don't mess with yeah. him. He knows exactly what he's doing. And and so now I want to kind of talk about the technical aspects of, of I Love Lucy, because actually I do think it's kind of important to the whole story, right? So there's a couple of things that start going on at the start of I Love Lucy, just from a production standpoint. So they... All TV was being filmed in New York City at that time. Um, and the reason for this is because you basically you went live. You went live with electronic cameras. Um, and to film something in, and, and then the rest of the country for the sake of, um, you know, you couldn't you couldn't. Um, there were no like Internet. Uh, there were no like uh, cross-continental cabling so what would happen is you'd film something live on uh with an electronic camera and then you would take uh, from that you would take excuse me what's called a kinescope and then you would you know deliver the kinescope to to broadcast centers on in other parts of the country and then broadcast them from there the quality on the kinescope was a lot lower so oftentimes you would see you know tv live in new york and then you'd see it later in say california and it would be at a lower kind of degraded quality um so the idea was you had to live in New York and film in New and, and shoot in New York. Did yeah, you watch like the honeymooners? Yeah. It's like that. The quality is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're watching. I had a no idea. A, you're watching a copy of a kinescope. I had no idea that they were in New York City recording this. I would well, have they this no, is, they this weren't. Is, oh, okay. This is part All of the right. deal. Yeah. They were living in California when the show started, and they said, "No, we have to figure out how to, we can stay in California and do this show." Mm. So, mm -hmm. so Desi said, "Well, we'll we'll put it on film. We'll we'll shoot it on film." Now, the distinction at that time you couldn't you couldn't, and well, you still can't. You can't shoot something on photographic film and send it out live, right? It just didn't work that way. You got to edit it and all of these things. Now, um, so he was like, "Okay, well, we'll film it." We'll shoot it on film. Okay. Well, the problem with that is if we film it, you got to do it in a studio in controlled conditions. And um, Lucy needs an audience to do her, to make her magic, to make the Lucille ball magic. What you need is an audience there that she feeds off of. That's very important. That's how she, that's how she becomes, becomes Lucy, right? Is by having, a, uh, by having an audience. So, okay. Now this is a whole new problem. We've got to have an audience. And we've never really, people have never really shot film in front of an audience. You got to light it. You got to move cameras around. You got to put cameras in the way. You got to do close up shots. It's a really challenging technical problem. So the Desi's like, okay, well, we'll figure out how to do that too. Desi brings in, so they're going to do the first time ever you're going to film in front of an of a film as opposed to an electronic camera in front of a live audience and then you're going to edit it all together later and send that out as the show okay. i love lucy is filmed yeah. live in front of a <laughs> right. what do you say is filmed in live front of a live studio audience, audience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah right they, of course yeah they in, wow des, desi invented that at the Get moment, out. so he could That's, stay in California. Now he's he's still doing a conga line. That's that same energy where we have to have people in the room. We right. got to work the crowd. Right. They're still working the crowd. Right, right. And the whole like, well, okay, we'll just figure out how to do it. 
and we'll figure it out right now. We'll set ourselves up a huge problem and we'll figure it out as we go. Right? Running yeah. over those, we got to break those tiles, man. Yeah, Keep yeah, exactly. Tiles. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's def, that's why I kind of want to, why this is important to the story. And so, so to try and figure out this technical problem, he brings in Carl Freund. Now, nobody knows who that guy is anymore, but early, early on, he was the most talented cinematographer and most innovative cinematographer. He invented what they called the unchained camera. He's the first guy who figured out how to film while you're moving a camera. He literally like figured out the technology behind that. He invented the light meter so you could determine if your lighting was good in a particular scene. Um, he, he shot, uh, Metropolis Fritz Lang's or, or sorry, he shot Fritz oh. Lang's M right. Like okay. he's a, he's a big deal, right? Okay. Desi gets hmm. him involved and they invent a, they, they sort of invent a bunch of stuff to do this. They're hmm. shooting everything all the time on three different cameras. So you have a close-up camera, a wide shot camera, and a, and another camera that you can use for mid shots and different kinds of shots that you might need. You're shooting the whole thing at the same time and then editing editing it later. Desi and Carl, with the help of the, the company that made the camera, they actually invented a whole new unit for editing so they could watch all three, all three reels of footage and cut it all together at the same time. They called it the three-headed monster. Desi, like, Desi didn't invent it, but he conceptualized it. Um, another another satanic reference, man. You got the right. hound of hell there. I just this YouTube video, my mind is exploding with all the synchronicities here. I don't think what you, what you're doing. I'm gonna cross myself and go to mass tomorrow. You should. You know, Sunday. You should. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also invented um, most of the time cameras, film cameras. You'd put them on a track. Mm-hmm. They came up with the idea of putting them on, on omnidirectional rollers and putting in a really smooth floor so that you could just move the cameras in and out silently and steadily all the time. Um, they invented uh, they invented lighting tricks so that you could basically you could you could light for close, medium and wide shots almost simultaneously. They had to control the lighting set so much. Um, and contrast so much so that you could light it, you could light it properly for all three of them at the same time that things like if they had a prop newspaper, that newspaper would be the paper itself would be gray so that the white of it wouldn't over contrast with other things and screw up your lighting situation. Right. So they were solving a million technical problems to put out this, you know, what seems like a dated, a dated sitcom to us now. Um, and the, these techniques, this this ball of techniques all put together became known as the Desilu technique um, and was basically adopted by all other television studios very shortly after. Um, wow. And because of the success of it and how well the show, oh, and this is one other thing, because of all of this, it was the most expensive TV show to make at the time. It was like $6,000, $5,000 or $6,000 more to make uh, an episode of I Love Lucy than say The Honeymooners or some other sitcom that was on at the time. Um, CBS didn't want to pay for that. Desi said, well, you know what? We'll front that other five grand, but in exchange, we want you to give us, we want to have um, ownership of the actual film. We want to own our masters, right? The CBS said, who cares? Who wants film? Once again, 
like Prince. We're, we're going back to that. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, the Purple Rain. Uh, I made that mm-hmm. reference. That, that's a very smart move. It is. That is and a big move. It mm-hmm. made the mil- and it contributed to them being millionaires later and literally buying RKO Studios, the studio that they'd both been fired from in the 40s. You're kidding me. Yeah. I didn't know that they bought yeah. that studio. That yep. is hilarious. Yep. Good. Good for them. <laughs> well, Good. And then the- Get them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing to call out with the uh the reruns or the, yes. the tape is that when she the way to make the pregnancy season work was to play reruns. Mm-hmm. Um is so that's how they had it so that she was having the baby on the same night. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, there were like three times as many households with televisions between their first season and their second season. Mm-hmm. So they became immediately useful in terms of people who had never seen I Love Lucy didn't even know that they were reruns or you know weren't able to watch the first season being able to see it yeah yeah they invented the rerun ah right Hmm. and also another thing that they could do is they could do because they owned the film and before you didn't keep you didn't really keep this stuff you kept a kinescope which was low quality was kind of poor quality now you have film now you can re-edit stuff so they could later do compilation episodes where um Instead of filming a whole new show, the episode is the the four main characters reminiscing about an old episode and you can cut it in. Right. You can you can repurpose these things and turn them into and turn them into into, you know, another episode. You that know. reminds me, we don't do anything like that, do we, no. Brad? That reminds no, we me don't. we've got some good stuff. We're going to do another Joyce episode with Aaron yeah. Gwynn. That episode is going to be called Rejoice. And then I think you yeah. and I are going to do one where we reflect back on year one of Art of Darkness. We should. Yeah, uh, we're going to do that. It's going to be that'd a lot of fun. fun. But yeah. I love this. I had no idea that they were such innovators in terms of television broadly. And I bet. They probably sold a lot of TV sets. We gotta, we gotta watch Lucy. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, a, that's yeah. a huge move. I'm, I'm yeah. sure they did. And as mm-hmm. they became producers, and 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 Desi was was really the powerhouse behind that. They were producing a lot of television as well. Um, you know, they they put Twilight Zone on for the first time. They had Desi Lu Playhouse. They put on The Untouchables, which was a huge hit. They put on um, they put on a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and on TV and in movies. You know, they owned. Um, RKO Studios, so they owned multiple actual sound stages. Um, you know, it, they turned it into they turned it into a big deal. Um, Show yeah. business and yeah. Brad. We got to tell people about the Rod Serling episode. If you're listening to this oh, yeah. and you haven't listened to that one, listen to the Twilight yeah, Zone. Yeah, there there are some overlaps for sure. For sure. Yeah, classic TV. Yeah. So so we got more to tell about about Desi and Lucy. Um, you know this this effort to um, bring them together through this show, right? To, there was a, 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 there was a kind of a thinking about doing this show would sort of save their marriage. And that was kind of the, that was kind of the impetus originally. I mean, you can't plan for stuff to be a huge hit, right? All you can do is do what you want to do and try to do it really well. Right. Um, so it was a huge success. Um, it did kind of keep them together for a while, um, but it didn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily last. And so, you know, after, um, after when did, when did Julie, when did I love Lucy end? Was it 1956? So, um, it was 1957 was the 30 minute, um, episodes. The and then they took the last couple seasons and did comedy hours. Those were until 1960. Right, right, right. And so, and in 1960, um, 
they also got divorced for real this time. Um, there had been, I think, you know, there's a combination of things and there's probably, there's two, there's probably different reasons for both of them, but they're, they'd worked very hard. Uh, you know, Desi got, Desi got to drinking more, um, was stressed I was gonna out. Ask, I was yeah. going to ask earlier, he, he strikes me as a guy who probably tipped a few back. You got oh, the Cardi family in the background. Yeah. yeah. He was a drinker. He was a drinker and he was a gambler and he was a philanderer. You know, he lived, that's, he, that's how he lived. And, you know, but he also check, check and check. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But he was also, okay. par- he was also paradoxically a family man, maybe not paradoxically, but he was a family man too at the same time. Yeah. Right. His, his sure. children have fond, very fond memories of him, you know, yeah. um, and that, and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, there's, I just want to like, real fast. I mean, yeah. Lucy, when she had success, she was afraid something bad was going to happen. The way that she described Desi, when he had success, he would destroy it. He would make sure something bad happened. So she said that, you know, he wanted to make all the mistakes in the book and he wanted to suffer the consequences. And that towards the end of their marriage, he was practically jumping out of windows. I mean, he was just, he couldn't handle it. He had to tear it all down. Right. Right. Yeah. She and she in the, uh, in the late seventies, I think it is, does an interview with Barbara Walters. This is after their long divorce and she's married to a new guy and, and she's, you know, Barbara Walters kind of asks him what, what went wrong. And Lucy's very, very, um, emphasis she puts a lot of emphasis on you know De- all these things desi did and like but ultimately he was a loser and what she meant by that was he had to lose he had a compulsion to lose basically he had a compulsion to be super successful and solve all these problems and make all these things happen but in the end he had to he had to destroy it for some reason you know it's kind of running and running over those tiles again. Yeah. 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 It's kind of tragic. It's broken pieces. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, the relationship gets with the added stress of the, you know, there's their, the relationship before I love Lucy was going awry because they weren't spending enough time together. At least that's how they saw it. And then through the end of I love Lucy, it's not going well because there's too much stress. And I don't think either of them is handling it all that well. Right. There's, too much pressure. The success is weird. The money is a lot. It's getting to be a lot of, I mean, you're buying a, a movie studio for $6 million in the fifties. Um, you know, there's a lot of money. Um, she was smart with her money and saved it, invested it, etc. Desi just gambled it away through lavish parties, you know, like he, he, he was, he, they were both in business together and he somehow went broke and she stayed rich. You know, that kind of thing. Ouch. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then they were getting divorced. And Julie, correct me if I'm wrong. They. um, Well, we should maybe just tell the actual story of of how they how how Lucy announced she wanted to get divorced because there's more than one story and nobody's sure exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah. So from Lucy's point of view. She, they were pretty much separated. She decided that she wanted the divorce, but she wasn't going to ask for it. She needed to make Desi ask for it. So she made him miserable until he asked. And um, it was at, after the last episode was shot, they got into a massive fight. They hadn't been talking on set for almost an entire season. And they would do like the petty, like, could you tell Desi this when you're like standing right next to each other? 
And so after that last episode, he demanded or he said he wanted the divorce, but then she like reacted like shocked to it instead of like, you know, she saw it coming. She was trying to make it happen. She like wouldn't talk to him. She called him all kinds of terrible racist things, which is, you know, after so many years of being married and then championing for things. I mean, so that was sort of that one. I know that Desi's account includes, there's a lighter and um, in the account of Lucy, this lighter was a truce. It was a, uh, it was shaped like a gun. So it was a gun lighter and you probed the trigger and it lit the flame. And that was a truce to their fights. And she shot it at him, pointed it at him. And when um, he, she pulled the trigger, he had written down the name of somebody he was accusing her of having an affair with on a cardboard and put it up in front of her. Um, but his account is different. Yeah, his account, he says that after, you know, after the statement of wanting a divorce, when he got home, she, you know, there was there was an argument again. And then she he he says she pulled a pistol on him, a dueling pistol on him and that she didn't know it was he makes no reference to her knowing that it was a lighter. So he frames it as she literally pulled the gun on him and pulled the trigger. um, But it turned out that that gun was actually just a lighter. And a couple of divas. Yeah. <laughs> drama queens, drama queens. But nonetheless, 19, whatever way, whatever did happen, it ended in, it ended in, you know, yelling in tears in, in 1960. Um, and, uh, you know, for, um, for Desi, this was kind of it. Like he, you know, he didn't die right away, obviously, but he fell further into drinking. He stopped working nearly as much. He did get remarried and he went down to Baja and he built a new house down there. You know, he still had some money left and and, and still still could produ- still produced things here and there and showed up on TV shows here and there. But he this was kind of it for him once once they got divorced, um, he would um, he would live another um i actually did not write down his death date i think it's 1986 um so he would live another uh live another sorry 1980 yeah 1986 he would die um so he would live another few years he would make an appearance on saturday night live where he spoofs his old shows including um uh uh it's including obviously spoofing um saturday night live um their son, Desi Jr., would show up on some stuff with him. Uh, I wanted to see this. The, 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 there was a funny Saturday Night Live thing that they did. Um, oh, yeah. He, they did a skit called um, I Love Louie. That's a spoof on I Love Lucy, where Desi lives with Louis Armstrong, which is just, I don't know, it seems actually <laughs> like it's kind of funny. Um, huh. All right. Yeah. But, you know, but basically the story of 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 Desi's lat- later years is just falling further into drinking, falling further into gambling. He eventually, along with his son, um, Desi Jr., who Desi Jr. had his own battles with primarily alcohol, um, and it was confusing for Desi Jr. There's a little boy on TV who's not him, who is his parents' son. And when people meet him, they think he's the boy on TV. Ah, uh, must be a little disorienting. It's very, very disorienting. And, and that must have been part of him kind of falling into um, 
falling into you know drugs and alcohol and, and kind of losing his way for a while he would uh desi jr would eventually get sober and he would get his dad into aa um very late in his life um and you know so you know i think right at the end he was no longer drinking at least that's the public story um but uh the one thing is he never really stopped loving lucy it was sort of a thing that never really could end you know and the opposite is also true lucy never really stopped loving him it was the sort of thing where it exploded and they couldn't figure out how to piece it to get back together you know um even though the feelings were definitely still there he apparently after they divorced every year on their anniversary he would send her a bouquet of carnations which were her favorite flower red and white oh, carnations right oh. yeah <laughs> yeah the show is called i love lucy right right oh. yeah yeah and, so and he he said when did he say that he said you know i uh it was at a um, uh, they received an award later and he said, I love Lucy was never just the title of a show. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting a little verklempt here. I, I oh. know. I know. Oh. And, and there's, um, there's, uh, there's, there's a couple great little moments. I'm going to, I just want to hit and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish Desi's story. Um, one is, uh, there's some home video of, um, and this is long after their divorce when their first grandson is just a baby and they're in the pool and, and he's meeting grandma and grandpa and they're in the pool and Lucy and Desi are in the pool. And it's just funny to see them kind of joking with the baby, but joking with each other. And you can tell there's still a lot of warmth there between the two of them. And apparently right at the end in 1986, when Desi's Desi gets uh Desi gets lung cancer, um, uh, he, uh, Lucy came to Lucy came to see him and um, they watched old episode, you know, they watched episodes of I love Lucy together um, and laughed and, you know, and all that kind of thing. And the, and the last thing, the last thing they ever said to each other was on the phone. They both said, you know, I love you. And, you know, he, his, his cancer accelerated very rapidly. And then 1986 at the age of 1969, um, he passed away. At the age of at the age of what sixty nine? Oh, sixty nine, right? Yeah. And was it the Chesterfields who finally that finally got him? Um, yeah, it, it does seem. Yeah, he had he got lung cancer. He was a, he was a heavy a heavy lifelong smoker, as many mm. many many people were then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This slightly premature death is brought to you by right. Philip Morris. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. But that was that's a beautiful story, and it's nice that they stayed in touch. And yeah, like I said, that you can tell that they even in his biography, you know, it, it's it's interesting because a lot of people will get divorced and and they'll um, they'll blame the other person, and sometimes very rightly so. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes sure. that person mm -hmm. was a real sob or whatever. Um, but in this, it's in his in his autobiography, a book. Um, he looks back, and you know, he blames himself for things. And he's also he also recognizes that they just made mistakes in some ways. You know, it, it's very he has a very charitable. He clearly I guess my point is he clearly never stopped being infatuated with Lucy. It never really went away. Yeah. Yeah. And hers is the same. I mean, a lot of my uh, research is based off of her autobiography, which is called Love Lucy. And that was actually published after she died. And uh, it was recorded not long after they got divorced. She was remarried, but not, you know, wasn't too far out. Yeah. 
and her daughter found it and didn't know that she had ever she had um, recorded or transcribed it. But uh, she didn't want to say anything bad. And when you read it, there isn't she's the exact same way. You know, she doesn't get into anything. She gives him more credit than he probably. Well, I don't know if that's true. Gives him a lot of credit, which they always did yeah. on interviews. You know, they always were in each other's corner and gave each other uh, more than their share of credit. That's the one thing I really loved about them as a couple. I, either is all together it's a great story but like how much they were on each other's team was amazing to me yeah you know i don't know i really love that about them yeah so uh, guys, and here we are y'all are podcasting together <laughs> look at this <laughs> wonderful all right okay jolie yeah. take it away you were yeah. you were saying you were saying. all right so i'm just gonna wrap up lucy's uh next couple years after the divorce so she really wanted to move to switzerland and have desi run desi lou she wanted to just be done with work and that obviously didn't end up happening so immediately she did a movie called facts of life with bob hope and then she did wildcat which was a musical um that actually got pretty decent uh reviews and uh, so she's Desi's still in her life at this point. Um, he she was injured and he rushed to the hospital like two hours away, helped to recuperate. He threw a big opening party at 21 uh, for the Wildcat opening in New York. Uh, so then she meets Gary Morton, who's a comedian. She ends up marrying him and he's younger as well. And he's just like a, he's just steady. Uh, no ups, no downs. If you read some articles, they say she didn't love him. She just liked him. I don't think that that's true. I think she just couldn't stand like the chaos and he was just a constant. Uh, Desi, it's, it's unclear how much they got along. It sounds, she says that they played golf together. Um, either way, it doesn't sound like they were friends. He called him Barry Norton uh, to poke fun at him instead of calling him Gary Morton. And so I don't think he was ever super, super pleased that she uh, moved on. Uh, so mainly Desi ends up convincing her to come back to TV. So he's still running Desi Lou. And so she and Vivian Vance, who was Ethel on, uh, I love Lucy, uh, they star in the Lucy show. So the Lucy show, I actually don't have the dates that that ran, but it would have been from around 1962 to probably about 1967, uh, so in 1962, she bought Desi out um, from Desi Lou. He was falling asleep at work. Uh, he wasn't able to run it anymore. He didn't want to. And they weren't able to find anyone else suitable. So he, uh, she bought out his shares for $3 million. They bought it for six, And then he retired. And she assumed the role as president. So she was the first woman to own and run a major television studio. During this time... Uh, she championed Star Trek. Uh, she's actually single-handedly given credit for Star Trek even existing. Um, and then Mission Impossible was another one that they said would not have ever come to fruition had it not been for her. Uh, but she didn't like to run the studio. Uh, Desi really handled things and that's what he did best. And it was awkward for her. Uh, she didn't feel like the men there really listened to her. She was a little too uptight and serious for like the company picnics. And it was a very young um, company. So they had gone from seven to a thousand employees from 1951 to 1957. And the average age was 32. And during that time, no one had resigned. 
So she, I mean, it's, it's successful, but it's young and she just didn't like it. And so she said that the best uh, day of her life was the day that she sold. She sold it to Gulf and Western in 1967 for $17 million. Woo! We're in the money. We're making yeah. yeah, from that period of time, just uh, as a, you got to, to the inflation calculation on that is like times eight from the mid sixties. So you're talking yeah, it's a, it's a lot of a hundred million dollars or so mm-hmm. today's money. Yep. It's Joe Rogan money. It is. Yeah. Spotify. If you're out there, we're cheap. <laughs> you can get us I would, next I would do this show for a cool 50 mil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bargain rate art of darkness, art of dark art of slash Patreon. Thank you, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's coming up soon. The after dark, we're going to, I can feel we're winding down. Yeah. We're well into the third yeah. act here. Yeah. And, uh, but if you want more, you can uh, stick around and we'll give you another 20, 30 minutes with the uh, side story about the, uh, well, the gangsters and, and Al Capone and all the rest of it. But Jolie, bring us home. This is, yeah. this is fascinating. I had no idea that she was, she was instrumental in like Star Trek and Mission Impossible. That's wild. Oh, yeah. She was a powerhouse. Like I, I was, you know, I've been handled mostly the Desi duties and, and not saying as much about Lucy. She was a powerhouse. They both I mean, they both they were a power couple. This is like the definition of a power couple for sure. Yeah, she told uh, she was friends with Carol Burnett and they went out one day and she was trying to convince the uh, the rest of the board to do something. It was all men and they you know didn't want to listen to her. And she said that she put her foot down and that was the day that they added the S to the end of her last name. She was something to be reckoned with. So she her last major series was Here's Lucy and that ran from 1968 to 1974. She did do some stuff after that. Um, however, uh, for this one, she tried to pull her kids in, or she did pull her kids in. So she had both Lucy and Desi Jr. on it. She was trying to spend more time with them as they reached their teen years. So while kind of keeping her career. So it worked for a few years. Desi Jr. was in a band and he was getting into some drugs at the time. And she was trying to kind of keep him on the straight and narrow. He ended up being on the show for, I think, like two seasons uh lucy who is awesome if you ever listen to any interviews anything lucy arnaz is fantastic she stayed on it um so that was sort of her last major one um after that she uh she and she didn't spend any of the 17 million either really (laughs) people who knew her said that she dressed in like sweat like matching track suits and her house was decorated just as it was in like the 1930s. She didn't change anything. And if she had to change something because it got worn out, she put she found the exact same thing to put back in it. So she was very frugal. She didn't like to spend um, even once she had the money. So that tracksuit track thing is pretty fashion forward, actually. That's right. <laughs> that's in in a yeah. funny way. Yeah. Yeah. Original yoga yoga pants. Yeah. Right. right. So she took up bat gamut. And I will end, uh, you know, her, the rest of her life, she's kind of just chilling, playing backgammon. And she played backgammon with Betty White. So Betty White, <laughs> I know. Uh, said, he's Betty White. He's Betty White. Yeah. <laughs> she said they'd get together. She'd have the backgammon all set up. But she was trying to teach Betty because she didn't know how to play. And so she said, okay, I'll take my turn. Now you throw the dice. And then Betty White would throw the dice. 
And then she'd, Lucy would move her pieces and Betty would say, how am I going to learn if you're playing the game with yourself? But they did it and they had a lot of fun. And, and we come all the way back to her having this, it's that imaginary friend again. She's yeah, moving the pieces. Right. She's moving the pieces for her friend, and I'm sure they were real friends too. Yes, and yeah. Betty Betty White certainly existed, and Lucille Ball was not Lucifer. No, uh, no. clearly I think we could say that confidently. Julie, when did she? Yeah, go ahead. when did she pass away? And and what yeah, was it? Yeah, so she her last television appearance was um, presenting an award at the Oscars with Bob Hope on March 29th, 1989. Mm, on April wow. 26th, which is my daughter's birthday, she died. Uh, so yeah, about a month later, she was 77. Uh, she had gone into Cedar sinai She had a heart attack. She had surgery. She was doing well. Her daughter left for the night to bring some stuff back. And uh, it, during the night, she had a ruptured abdominal aorta, which kills you pretty much instantly. And so um, mm, that was that. That was it. Yeah. Did she die in New York City? Is that it? No, she was in, um, I think it's Cedar sinai is in Los Angeles. Oh, in, in LA. Okay. They buried her there. She was, I think she was cremated and then they buried her ashes there and her, and Dee Dee's ashes were there. And then they realized that uh, she would, she loved Jamestown. I mean, the highlights of her life are when she goes back to Jamestown, you know, whether she's, somewhat famous, super famous. And that was very important to her. And so her daughter decided it made more sense to move those ashes to Jamestown. And so we visited the grave when we were there and um, it's beautiful. People have it all decorated. There's red hearts that go out to it um, that are like spray painted on the ground. Um, And so, and then they ended up she didn't want to have a funeral and Lucy ended up doing three tele like three um what are they called they're not funerals like like memorial services yeah and um had one televised Monday nine to nine or or no I think she had them she had them all at nine to nine thirty on a Monday yeah. to celebrate so, I love Lucy time life. slot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Lucy. Yeah, the the broken tiles of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Nicely done, you two. Yeah, that's dynamite. I really appreciate that. I we're well into a third hour. (laughs) I'm impressed. I really enjoyed it. I had I learned a lot. I like that this is kind of our I think our second classic tv episode yeah uh, yeah so you I, know an interesting you know, i didn't think that was going to be an area when we started this show i didn't think i was going to be so interested in the old tv stuff to be honest and every time i dig into it i'm like this is kind of this is pretty fascinating i'm afraid we're going to be those guys at the at the bar or at the whatever at the get together that know all the names of the old actors <laughs> and actors i mean in, in a few years we may be one of those guys right right, uh, right one right. of those people yeah um but Joe Lee, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I'm so grateful. That was yeah, that, was that was a lot of fun. That and was your, excellent. And your love uh, of of Lucy <laughs> and yeah. and Desi, I think it comes through. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it was well, great. and we're gonna we're gonna do another uh, 20, 30 minutes on the After Dark episode. We end this with a question, uh, and I think I'll flip this back around on the two of you. Okay. And I'm gonna, but I'm gonna flip it around and ask you. Brad, what do you think Lucy would be doing? No, 
I'm going to, I'm going to a little, little curveball here at the end. What do you think Lucy would be doing if she was around now? You know, what is interesting? So I don't know that she'd be making new TV shows anymore, but she did towards the end, she became a great uh, talk show guest like Johnny Carson uh, and those it's yeah. just great. Just this sort of like kind of wisecracking her brassy kind of just, you know, kind of your tough, old, crazy, hilarious aunt, you know, kind of character. So I think I think she would be involved in TV, something like that. She'd be she'd be somebody you brought out for award shows and onto talk shows and things like that for um you know, for some comedy and she'd still be that kind of lovable person that everybody wants to see. I don't know that she'd be making like episodic television anymore. Um, it seemed like that, you know, TV has changed so much that I don't know that she would be the right fit for like a sitcom anymore. But yeah, she would definitely be out there and she would be trying to make people laugh. Well, and maybe she'd be Going on different podcasts and things. She'd, she'd be <laughs> yeah. like a friend of the show, Blower Guys. She'd right, be right. it around, going on this show, going on that show. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. She might yeah. have her own. Yeah, yeah. who knows? Right, uh, right. And, and Jolie, what do you think uh, Desi Arnaz would be doing? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like he'd be doing some sort of entertainment in, I mean, I don't know. Like... I don't know how you take him out of the entertainment industry. I also don't know how the entertainment industry would, you know, sort of assimilate him and uh, deal with him today. I don't want to, I don't. He'd be leading a Roomba comeback. A Roomba yeah. comeback. He might. <laughs> like, that's what I think. That's what I think is coming back. Like that, that face to face, like you go to a moth and it's a small audience. Yep. And, you know, I think that he'd be wherever he is, he's working up a crowd. Yeah. And I, I feel like because they were, he was so cutting edge with the conga and then with all the television stuff, I feel like they may be in the metaverse they yeah. might be doing the first three camera show in the metaverse you know they may be doing a twitch stream that's huge who knows they might be inventing some future thing but i that, yeah fascinating yeah. um we're gonna we're gonna do a little more time on this and yeah. julie thank you thank you again so much for coming on the show thank you for lending brad to me periodically yeah. uh on loan from from your marriage yep. and um I think I'm just going to let's all let's all conger our way out of this episode. Brad, do you yeah. want to start it? How do we do this? I don't I can't, I can't do the rhythm. I got no rhythm. I, I love Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there is there a tagline from the show that we could end on? <sighs> what does he say? What does he say to uh, Lucy? And Lucy loves me. Mm, All right, I love Lucy and Lucy loves me. All right, guys, we'll come back in a few minutes. Later. Peace.